Welcome to Savvy Sab's podcast on call-in. This is episode 69, McCarthy forced the vote. So far, Kevin McCarthy has lost, I'm updating this to nine rounds for Speaker of the House. Watching Republicans force the vote against McCarthy is embarrassing because the squad wasn't willing to do this to Pelosi. How does this make you feel? Oh boy, let's chat. Let's uh, let's go ahead and get into it. I see people are already lined up. Let's go ahead and bring in Karthik. You are on the mic. You have to unmute. Hi, Savvy. What's up? Uh, good good evening today on this fine uh, January evening. Uh, good evening. I, I think it's actually ten rounds at least. But besides that, uh, I wanted to say it's finally great to see uh, right on right crime. You know, as Fox News would say. Where are the fathers? Where are the fathers? All those right on white communities. It's 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 going to lower property values, you know, in my hotels, as, as Fox News. Or I mean, I think Trump implied that once in a debate. But anyway, yeah, it's finally great to see him right in fighting. Um, but besides that, it's just like it's so sad. I, I, I think it's it's entertaining and funny, you know, but it's also sad. Yep. To see that like um like Matt Gates and you know Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert are driving Kevin McCarthy mad. Yeah, it's it's kind of sad for me in a way, too, because it's like I just keep seeing what we could have had. And this is what I, I said to Glenn Greenwald last night. It was just like I'm kind of jealous in a way because this is what we were supposed to have. This is what we were supposed to do on the left. But we don't have the politicians that were willing to do it. And it honestly it makes me a little sad and it kind of pisses me off in a, in a sense, too. And when I see people like Anna Kasparian come back and double down and, and Jink Uger come back and double down and same thing with Sam Cedar. I didn't get a chance to show that video, but just to come back and double down about it wasn't going to pass. They knew it wasn't going to pass when they initially signed on for it, but they agreed to it. And what Sam and Anna Kasparian are leaving out is the fact that what Bree said in that radar, that a call went out and told people to back away from it. And they're not telling their audience about that. So, yeah, of course, Anna Kasparian is going to call out like Brie or anyone else who's saying, like, look, we're vindicated now at this point because we see what was possible. Unfortunately, it just didn't happen on our side of things. And I think that, (laughs) you know, especially that part about a call went out. That was the first time I heard about that. And I watched this entire force the verb thing unfold. Sorry, did Sam Cedar say call went out, or did TYT say that? Because I thought I thought it was just that the uh, MSNBC contractor. No, Brianna Joy Gray said a call went out. She said it on her radar. Okay. Oh uh, well, yeah, and of course TYT is lying about you know forced the vote. You know they're still saying that um, that you know McCarthy could could have become speaker last time, even though like uh, that like the only way that could happen is if if the other side you know voted uh if if some dems voted for republicans um but this is kind of a side note but speaking about tyt i i know last week you guys were trash talking about tyt and i was very jealous because i i wish i was there and so as somebody that i probably know more about tyt than any other fans so there's actually a clip of jank uh defending uh uh clinton's uh relationship with epstein this is a video from eight years ago he was saying that oh no they're not talking about sex with girls you know they're just talking about money uh, I'll I'll post the link in the chat if anybody wants to see that. Um, Interesting. Well, yeah, there's other like, like Jenkins has always been like a uh, NATO sycophant for like more, ever for 20 years. But you know, back to forces. Well, besides that, um, 
Yeah, so and it's sad because theoretically, because because the substance of the division between uh, uh, McCarthy and you know uh, and Gates or whoever, it's very tiny at best. It's it's more like oh, we want tax cuts, or we want taxes to be one percent, or we want taxes to be zero percent. You know, there's not like and like there might be like some uh, difference on culture war stuff, or like or maybe like like funding the border, or maybe on like some social conservative stuff. But the substance of the difference is like tiny, tiny, like barely existing. It's more style and like not trusting McCarthy. Right. And but but it doesn't matter what the concessions are. And that's what I want people to fully understand here. It doesn't matter. I don't care if they were asking him for I don't know, like a free train pass or something. I don't care what the concession was. It's the fact that they were able to use their numbers and to utilize their numbers to bargain in a sense and to pick away at Kevin McCarthy and say, listen, we are not going to vote for you as speaker unless we get this, 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 and this. And the squad was supposed to be that unit to come forth and to bring the ruckus. And now we see it's people in the Republican party that are coming forth to bring that ruckus instead. And it's really embarrassing because you have to watch the talking points And the same talking point that I've heard from multiple progressives is this is chaos. Well, what does that really mean, Karthik, when they say watching this unfold with the GOP, this is chaos? Why is it chaos to ask someone to give you something for their vote, for your vote? Why is why is that considered chaos? Where I come from, that's a democratic process. So this idea that you're just supposed to support the person who is nominated to be the Speaker of the House, regardless if you have indifference with them or not, or you don't think they're going to be a good leader, I would say that that is foolish, and I would say that that's more status quo. So ideally, what you have is AOC and Jamal Bowman in these interviews that I saw earlier today saying that this is chaos. That right there let you know that they were never going to try to force any type of vote. So when we saw the interview with Jamal Bowman before the, the vote for Nancy Pelosi on CNN, and he said he hadn't decided how he was going to vote yet, that was bullshit. This is what I want people to understand. That was just Jamal Bowman and Cori Bush was on there too. That was Jamal Bowman and Cori Bush basically playing it up for the progressive voters to give them this idea that, yeah, look, we're going to fight for you guys. Look at us. We may or may not vote for Nancy Pelosi. We're going to give her a challenge. We're going to give her a run for the money. When they knew damn well that they had no intention of forcing any kind of vote, and they knew damn well that in the end they were going to vote for her anyway. So that's why I say this is all theater. The squad has seriously played a lot of people. They've taken a lot of money from working class people, and they should honestly be ashamed of themselves. Yeah, they theoretically claim to care about democracy, but like this messy process is part of democracy. It's not just like a a uh, monarch, a, uh, a dictatorship, or a, um, a monarchy is what Pelosi has. You know, where she's like, where she's like, I guaranteed like a certain amount of votes. You know, from especially the the most progressives. You know, in name only, I guess. Um, but and. Uh, uh, and also, I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, around like a month after forced the vote, um, Pramila Jayapal was asked, like, well, what are the differences between like the Progressive Caucus and the Freedom Caucus? And she talked about how the Progressive Caucus has always been a caucus of yes, yes, yes. 
and the Freedom Caucus is a caucus of no, no, no. So she's just admitting that. Oh yeah, we're we're you know we're always going to say yes no matter what. And what I another thing I don't understand either is like how do you have a progressive caucus with people in the caucus that don't even believe in the progressive policies? There shouldn't be politicians a part of the progressive caucus that don't support Medicare for all. Period. Yeah, I I think uh, Hakeem Jeffries is, is in the uh, progressive caucus. I, I think for a while, not like I think like for a long time, Nancy Pelosi was in it too. Not not the uh, recent years. And then uh, last thing I'll say is before I go, I don't know if it's an interview, but, there, I, but I, I know I think Jamal interview was uh, interviewed today by Alex Wagner on MSNBC. And and he made it seem like uh like the uh he turned like the chaos with the Republican not not voting for McCarthy like some identity politics. He was like, oh yeah, th- this is about not helping uh queer people and you know not helping black people. I was like, dude, you're such a clown. Nothing that they've asked for so far, from what I've seen, has anything to do with identity. You know, he was making like like, like the, the chaos in terms of the voting about identity politics. That's all right. He's and, you know, that's that again, that's a status quo talking point for the Democratic Party. Let me start talking about how, oh, it's they don't like black people. They don't like gay people. That's why they're doing this force the vote like this is it's absolutely ridiculous how quickly squad members have changed and have just gone along with the Democratic Party. Look, they voted for Hakeem Jeffries without any concession at all. This is someone who is heavily against progressive policies, who put up a pact to prevent progressive candidates from winning re-election or from new progressive candidates to actually getting a chance to get in. And this is the person that they all rallied behind and said, let's get behind Hakeem Jeffries. He's the right person for the job. The same guy who doesn't want you there. Yo, did you see uh, uh, Ro Khanna saying that uh, he would vote for a moderate Republican to get the votes? Yeah, I'm going to talk about that tomorrow night. I couldn't fit that in with the segment tonight because I was like, oh, my God, that's going to be too long. But yeah. but yeah, and and AOC, AOC, too, like even in her interview, she's like, we're willing to work with them. Um, you know, some of us may be willing to vote for Kevin McCarthy. Like this is B.S. Karthik. Oh, did AOC say that? I, I didn't know that she said she would vote for Kevin McCarthy. They're willing to she had already spoken to Republican politicians and she said, we're willing to work with them to help them get this done, even if that means that some of them may have to vote for Kevin McCarthy so that he's elected as speaker. So, yeah, here you have Democrat politicians willing to vote for Republicans. But yet those of us who have never voted Republican, which I've never voted Republican and I never wanted to vote Republican. We're smeared as as right wingers because we're calling out the squad for their bullshit. But those same people like TYT and Sam Cedar, they'll smear us for being or saying that we're right wing. But they're not smearing AOC or Ro Khanna for saying that they would vote for a Republican. Well, no, it's not just right wingers. It's about we're racist, sexist, and white supremacist right wingers, you know, because AOC and the squad are people of color. So it's even more, it's, it's, it's an extra step. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks, Abby. Good talk. Have a nice evening. Thank you so much, Karthik. If you guys can't tell, I'm a little hot and bothered. <laughs> I'm going to bring in uh, Scotty and Case Study QB is here. What's up, Case? What's going on? What's going on, Savvy Sabs? Yeah. <laughs> I feel, uh, you know, very savvy. And uh, I definitely, I'm glad that people are pushing like including yourself and um brie 
and not giving up on this force to vote messaging because I understand that some people might be tired of bringing it up and stuff. But the my thing is, I want us to keep talking about it because we we don't have a general consensus on what to do when this opportunity appears again. You know, it's one thing if everybody, if TYT people said, you know what, you know, I, I wasn't uh, clear last time, but I think I see the, the light and we need to organize and decide what we're going to ask for. If it's not for, um, you know, Medicare for all, uh, I know Dave Sirota had a whole bunch of inside the beltway kind of ask, um, even though I think we should ask to force the vote on the Medicare for all as well. But there's a whole bunch of acts. We need to organize and decide what are we going to do. But instead of that happening, people are saying are still poo-pooing the whole strategy. So anyway, I, I totally I see red just like everybody else. Go ahead. Hey, good evening, Savvy. It's Case. Hey, Scotty. Um, What's up? Yeah, I kind of knew that this day was coming. Um, I, I do have a theory, though. I think, and, you know, hear me out when I say this. I think the like younger and I just call them younger, but like people like Matt Gates or maybe Lauren Boebert actually probably do listen to some of left uh, alternative left media, and maybe they uh, heard of the whole like force the vote issue with Jimmy Dore, and I think they heard about it. Uh, you know, a while ago, and they, I think that they used it to their advantage in, in the background. Plus, you know, of course, there's some issues with Kevin McCarthy, like they don't trust him. But I think that this was a good way of, you know, theater, and they it was also a good way of um, splitting the uh, the le- uh, the left voting base and to say, hey, like. Hey, we're willing to do what you guys weren't willing to do. I wouldn't be surprised if that was part of the calculus, but it, you know, it you know it worked out because that's what they're doing. And dude, it was always it was always a lie. Like it was always a lie uh, of the whole issue of McCarthy could come become speaker. Yep. Um, you guys don't have a. a a formulated plan to actually get it through. Uh, Medicare for all will actually lose. And they weren't saying this stuff until, and I got to say this because it's actually Sam Cedar was the one who said it. He said it during that debate with Brianna Joy Gray that he had. And um, he said that he had spoke to, I guess, like a, a high-level staffer for Democratic Party politician and he said that, you know, we're going to lose really badly uh, if we bring this up for a vote. And the whole problem with that is, like, if that's the case, then so what? Exactly. That means that that you keep bringing it up, but also, and this is the thing that really scared them, and they had to make a decision like their whole success is predicated on funneling people back to the Democratic Party. That's why they poo pooed the strategy. Plus, you know, the ego, you know, 
their issues with door and but the way go ahead but one thing scotty like when brie did her radar she said that a call went out and so to me it was just like the fact that someone was that powerful that they could just make a phone call and tell people hey i think you guys might want to back away from this and not do this because for whatever reason that should be concerning to people because the whole point of independent media is to give an alternative voice to media and to fill in the gaps where mainstream media does not. And if you have someone in DC making calls to people that are independent media, commentators, journalists, and telling them, no, you shouldn't do the strategy to put pressure on a politician, then to me, you might as well say that you're just like mainstream media because you're not supposed to change that information. But here's the thing, and I've mentioned this before, um, people like TYT and uh, Majority Report, they are part of that Air America, uh, you know, part of Air America, that old left radio response to right-wing radio. Like, they weren't necessarily leftists. They were just Democratic Party hacks. Like, their problem was the fact that, you know, the Democratic Party was wasn't to the left the, their uh, opposition to them was that they weren't partisan enough against the republicans right they weren't they weren't sticking it to the republicans enough like they could give a damn about the uh, you know about like progressive policy like these people these people went after uh ralph nader for running in 2004, like Jane Fugger actually bragged about the fact that he yelled at uh, Ralph Nader uh, in the interview, like I think in 2004, because they they like a lot of the left stupidly blamed Ralph Nader for 2000. Right? right. That's who these people are. Like they've always want to be accepted into the club. Like. If you remember in high school, like, right, there's the term wannabe. There's always that clique of people that wants to be accepted into the cool club, or cool kids club, but, like, they're never getting, so they do things that are really, like, uh, that are really pathetic just to be accepted. That's them. That's who these people are. Like, they... They've debased themselves so much. Uh, but the problem is, like, they were the first ones to actually gain notoriety on the internet. Right? Jake Uger is, unfortunately, an internet, uh, a, uh, a left uh, media pioneer. Right? Yeah, and I, I, totally, I totally get that. But Jink Uger started Justice Democrats with Kyle Kalinske. Yeah. And Sam so, Cedar, yeah. and Sam Cedar's been uh, been in comedy for like thirty years. Like he was on, um, I think he he was on Fraser. He uh, he had an episode on Sex and the City. Like what? He, yeah, like he was he played um, Miranda, like an old uh, boyfriend from uh, uh, the character Miranda. Yeah, like I had to. Oh my God! Yes, yes, 
Listen, I'm a Sex in the City queen, okay? I love Sex in the City. I've seen every episode. I do not remember Sam. I'm going to have to go back and start all over from season it, one it, and watch it. It, it, was, it was one episode, but he was he played uh, Miranda's uh, like old boyfriend, and he visited. <laughs> but yeah, like he... Like he's been involved in like uh, comedy for decades, but he never really like broke through as like the quote uh, the quote unquote uh, superstar. And like hell, uh, Mark Maron, remember that guy, Mark Maron? Yeah, Mark Maron uh, uh, used to do a show with him. They even called it a Break Room Live, where they used to do it in their break room after. Uh, studio and mark Marin actually gained uh more popularity as a podcaster than sam cedar did right and like they've always all there hasn't been made one election to where these people have not voted green party upset for maybe the 2000 election and so they feel guilty about that because Bush got elected, and so they've been trying to make it up as a result of that. Like that's who these people are. Like they've never, they've never wanted to actually challenge power. So, like if you look at their accomplishments outside of them being part of like new media, right? What have they accomplished? Right. That's a good point. I I mean, I just don't think. You know, if that's if that's who you are, then just say that's who you are. Don't pretend to be like this progressive firebrand if that's not what you're really about, because it gives people the illusion that they do have you fighting for them and pushing for progressive issues when in reality you'll be totally fine if it doesn't work out that way. And you're totally fine to just tell people, well, just go ahead and vote for Joe Biden. But you know what's funny, though? I think they see themselves as the most progressive people that would be allowed to be seen by the normies, right? Like Jank Yeager and uh, uh, was had a show on MSNBC at one point, right? Like right. they wanted, like they want to be just radical enough to be on the internet. But acceptable enough to normies where they could feel comfortable being watched by uh, the MSNBC crowd, but they're not willing to do that. So they th- so they see people like Jimmy, uh, you guys, um, uh, gain popularity, and when they like they see one, you guys are you guys are uh, kind of invading their turf. And two, like, like, you know, you're cutting into the pool of their audience. And they, if you notice, like, they're very territorial about their audience. Yeah, but we don't have the same. I would argue, and um, Case, feel free to jump in here. Um, I would argue, I don't think we have the same audience as TYT. Well, they, but what I'm saying is, uh, you guys will have no problem inviting somebody on uh, who ha- who believe in that strategy of of um, electoralism, 
because you you feel that hey, like you're confident in your ideas, and it's easy to uh, to to defend those ideas. Right. Them on the other hand would never allow people like you, people like well, Jimmy used to work there, but like, how many times have they allowed communists to be or and or even like left uh like anti-war leftists right they don't allow those people on because they feel that they have to like then it's always this uh this this belief that well if you have a platform you have to be responsible for what that means is they feel that they have to direct their audience on how to think and what to think and so when they like, so the whole force the vote strategy, they feel like, well, if it can, if it will hurt the quote unquote allies in Congress who can actually get us the uh, the policies, then you know that can. Well, then you know, okay. You know, I get, yeah, I totally get it, Scotty. But the thing is, is is this in reference to. Um, having people on that may be further to the left or, or whatever, so so to say. If that's the case, but they're willing to bring on Matt Gates, then they're no or better Bosch. than... Right, they're, they're no better than... Listen, Gene Uger had an interview with David Duke, who's a Klan's member. They're no different than mainstream media. You see what I mean? Like, th- this whole in-between thing, first of all, I don't do in-between... I don't like in-betweenies. So like, like just, just in life in general, I don't like in-between. Like it reminds me when people used to say, maybe I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, are you, you don't like people who are, who call themselves, (laughs) well, I'm, I'm on the fence. Like, oh, motherfucker, you got to pick a side. Yes. Thank you, Scotty. I hate that whole, like, I'm on the fence. I'm thinking about it or maybe what is, what does that even mean? Like, it's a yes or no for me. So I never understood that kind of thing. But I I think the thing is, is like, they didn't used to be that way. TYT, I remember, they used to take, and I I did not agree with this. They used to take pictures of women's crotches. Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah. I When they did that shit with Jimmy, and and I said to myself, yo, they fucked up. They fucked up. Because I knew all he had to do was show clips from the second hour, and they were done. He was going to eat through them, and I was like, yeah, that that's, it's over. <laughs> yeah, because they used to be wild back in the day. Yeah, they actually used to take phone calls when they, yep. you know, because at the same time, they were on the radio, uh, but uh, they were still on YouTube, and when that relationship ended, they they stopped taking phone calls. They stopped being so responsive to the audience, except for when they would, you know, of course, need the audience to raise money for whatever, like, thing they needed for the studio and <laughs> and whatever venture they wanted to do. But, um, yeah, they, they, I think they want to seem like the most left-wing option available. And that's why they're comfortable having on people like Matt Gates because they feel like 
one, we could play the red-blue game, and two, we could seem like the most left-wing option available. And like we don't have to expose our audience to to see more left-wing ideas because if we do that, then they have to start to ask questions like, "Oh, wait a minute, like you guys aren't that progressive." Well, they took that $20 million and they, they, there was change there after that as well. And it's like, if you're going to have someone donate $20 million to you, obviously they're going to expect something in return. And that could also mean like the way that you run your show or your network and also the message that you send across. <coughs> I mean, money is a factor here, I think. I think that has a lot to do with it. Go ahead, Case. I saw you on mute. Yeah, I was going to say that, yeah, you guys definitely have... Um different audience i think the only crossover is probably people like me who i i you know me as a political junkie and just what i do case study qb i I watch everybody i watch from fox news to bloomberg to tyt to rbn to um everybody i don't watch sam cedar that much here and there but that's probably the only crossover because even in my audience uh i see when i post savvy sab when i retweet savvy sab or if I retweet Bree, I just I think it was yesterday there was a person in there that was saying, Oh, you're carrying water for Bree and RBN or something like that. And I'm like, I just ignore people because it I don't have the energy, like all my energy I'm focusing and organizing and the mutual aid political party idea and, and, and clipping stuff. I'd rather focus my energy on that. But then I also retweeted um Crystal Ball, which you know, people have disagreements. But like my philosophy is we're all part of the left ecosystem. Unfortunately, there's a lot of um, people who don't talk within each other. And, you know, if you have disagreements, that's fine. But then when it comes to disrespecting each other, I don't agree with that at all. And then, um, you know, because that opens up not the ability not to collaborate, not to say I would love to see Sabi on the conversation, TYT, the conversation where you can talk about your initiatives in in Boston and how you do man on the streets um, things in Boston and and mutual aid and introduce them to mutual aid. I found about mutual aid through RBN, you know, so um, yeah, there's definitely different audiences and I'm hoping for radical solidarity to happen in the future that we can all come together and work towards, you know, Medicare for all vote on the the house floor and other uh, strategic changes, um, coming together to help the union, the, the, the strikers uh, at the railroad strike. I know a lot of teacher strikes are going to need our help. There's a lot of legit leftist organizations and initiatives that need our help. And a lot of people are more worried about their own egos. So radical solidarity is what I'm. I just want to add to, I think it's important for us to, to note is the fact that I kind of get tired of people saying that the Jimmy door forced the vote and, these Jimmy Dore stands because of Force the Vote. There was a panel of people, a part of Force the Vote. It was not just Jimmy Dore. It was Brianna Joy Gray. Crystal Ball supported Force the Vote. But you never hear them bring that up. You never hear them mention the people who smear it because of that. You never hear them mention, oh, those Crystal Ball supporters and Force the Vote. She supported it. So did Kyle Kalinske. So did Dr. Cornell West. And you never hear them bring up their names in reference to Force the Vote. So they make it seem like the only person who really supported it was Jimmy Dore. And that's not true. And I think it's important that we debunk that narrative as well. Go ahead, Scotty. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm 
it was uh, nice talking to you. I'm uh, sending a clip of uh, Cedar on Sex in the City. It's pretty funny once you watch it, but uh, have a good night, Savvy. Thank you so much. Go ahead, Eric, and I'll bring in Tim, but go ahead, Eric. Sure. Well, so you talked about someone like, like Crystal and, the, and these others, and it's like, why? So, so they changed, right? So, so what changed? You know, what, what changed with Crystal? Money. It paid, right? That's the thing. I mean, so I, I feel like all of our conversations on this should, should circle back to the money. You know, it should... Um, and that should really be be our focus. I, I think we, we need to be calling these people corrupt, you know, especially our, our so-called uh, representatives. And I mean, I mean, someone like, like AOC is, is kind of worse than a Republican because she's she's fake. I mean, she pulls in the revolutionary energy and and she just runs it right back into the Democratic Party. And so then the question is, is so, so in order to do something about that, right, we're left here, we're left sitting here, like, oh, what do we do? We grow excited about AOC and Bernie. And now it's like, well, what do we do? What do we do? Well, you need, I think I would say that we need to cut down to what's the core problem here. You know, you can't fix something until you understand it. And so the core problem here is the money. You know, it's all a system that's, that's running off money. Both parties are serving the same big money interests. And so if that's our core problem, then then that's what we need to be focusing on. That's what we need to be doing something about. And then Case mentioned, like, when we if we have the next force to vote moment, you know, what, what should they be asking for? And so that's kind of, you know, gets into my wheelhouse of what I've been working on with, with demands. And I feel like we should have, you know, this set of demands ready to go that we're organizing around. And so... You know, in case mentioned collaboration, and I'd like to see us kind of trying to, to collaborate on what would those demands look like and and how should we be framing them and, you know, and what should we be doing about that. The other thing I'd say is, is I, I think like when you have these, these Republicans, you know, doing this whole theater game of, of not voting for, for McCarthy, I, I think what this boils down to is is one group of billionaires fighting against another group of billionaires. I feel like this is like a, a Game of Thrones, you know, billionaire infighting is, is what we're really seeing. And it's, it's, it's chaos. It's it's late stage capitalism. It's it's what Caitlin Johnstone calls the great unpatterning. You know, I think that's a lot of, of what we're seeing with all this. But, yeah, it's the top 0.1% versus the rest of us. And, and that's what we should always be circling back to. So I'd say. Yeah, but I think the question I have, and I'm going to bring in Tim, the question I have is, though, how do we even get those demands to them when they don't even engage? Because, again, the well, only person right. you're speaking to is Ryan Grimm. Right. Well, the, I mean, we're not going to get anything out of them. I, I think that's the first realization is is as it is, as things are running now, you know, they don't represent us. They don't care about us. We're just the unwashed, you know, rabble peasants. What we need is numbers, right? That's that's the big thing I would say. That that's that's the source of our power. How we're going to get anywhere? So how do we generate the bigger numbers? You know, and I think we're we're doing that. I mean, the education is crucial. The RBN shows all this stuff is crucial in the education. But I think in order to take it to the next level, what I'm proposing is we need 
have a left movement built around a specific set of demands because that has the potential to, to galvanize people. And if, and if you look through, at least, you know, what I'm proposing as a list, you know, these are pretty popular things, you know, getting the money out of politics, health care for all, uh, against censorship, you know, minimum standard of living for all. And so, so I, I, I think the key problem, the key nut we have to crack is how do we inspire large numbers of people? Well, part of the problem we're going to run into with inspiring large numbers of people is the fact that the people, with the exception of Jimmy Dore, the other people that have the largest platforms don't want anything to do with with this. They don't want anything to do that's outside of the the Justice Democrat strategy. So that's the problem that we're going to run into is like to to reach those massive numbers, we have to reach the audiences of the the channels that have like five million subscribers. We have to reach the majority report audience. We have to reach the TYT audience. And we can't do that because they won't allow us to. So that's the that's the biggest problem that we're going to run into is that they actually are the I hate to say it this way, but it's true. They're the gatekeepers of left independent media. And so if you can't get through the gate, then we're basically like, I feel like we hit a brick wall. Tim, I, I want to get your take on this. Mm-hmm. What I do is is I, I, I basically take personal ownership of it. And any conversation anybody's willing to have with me about politics whether I'm on the train on the way to work, whether I'm at the grocery store, wherever I'm at, whatever I'm doing on the elevator, if anybody's willing to have that conversation and they bring up something and I can tie it right back into a policy to how this, you know, why this is, or somebody talks about homelessness and then you start mentioning, you know, you know what I mean? Just bring it into the conversation and start having that conversation without even mentioning right or left or anything like that. It's just literally just having the conversation about what's wrong and the corruption in Washington and, and how that is affecting our daily lives, you know, and, 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 and disabusing people of the illusion that there are two parties in this country. Like there's one party and it's obvious. Like anybody really were to just look at it, they could see, oh yeah. I mean, here you have AOC now in this interview talking about literally she's going to vote or they're going to vote for McCarthy. Like what the fuck? Like, is this, is this so that, so that they, what they said before that if we force the vote, McCarthy might become speaker. So they're forcing the vote. So now they're working to try to make McCarthy speaker. I don't know. Is this some kind of sicko thing they're trying to do? Like just to fucking be right. Exactly. It pisses me off. Exactly. And by the way, you guys, that video, that video clip that I showed you from Twitter, the comments were not good. I mean, she's so exposed. It's just, it's, it's very telling. And I I mean, it's like, we really need people like, let's say TYT majority reports lost cause. You really need people like even breaking points. We would need like people like breaking points to call them out to that level, but they're not even going to do that. Because if you look at it now, Mm -hmm. Ryan Grimm is a part of breaking points and Mm -hmm. Ryan Grimm is the one that has access to those politicians. Mm -hmm. So if they were to do that, then they could lose that access. So I, I see this, this is another part of the problem is it all goes back to the money, which Eric said, but also the access issue. 
And that is part of the reason why some of these people won't call them out the way that we're doing. They knew what the strategy was for force the vote. And for those who are not clear, I just want to reiterate this here. The strategy for force the vote was not so much to win Medicare for all. We already knew that it wasn't going to win. Exactly. The strategy for force the vote, which comes straight from the DSA handbook and even in the DSA handbook, as Jimmy Dore so graciously pointed out, it doesn't say it's going to win. In fact, it says the opposite. Even if it's likely to fail, you should still do it. And so what you do is you still bring it to the floor for a vote. And then you get those politicians, the Democrat politicians who are against it, and you have them on record. Then you primary challenge those politicians, which if we had done this, if they had done it, those people probably could have been replaced in 2022. That's how quickly the time went by. Those people who voted against it could have been replaced in 2022. And then people say, well, you have to worry about the Senate. Same thing with the Senate, because let me tell you something. This this idea, when when Anna Kasparian said this recently, it wasn't going to pass. It was going to fail. You shouldn't push for something that's going to fail. I could say the same thing about the $15 (laughs) minimum wage, because the squad knew that that wasn't going to pass in the Senate because Joe Manchin had already said he was against it. And then you had six other Democrats and one independent that voted against it as well. So Mm -hmm. what's the difference there? So they knew the $15 minimum wage, they knew that wasn't going to pass either, but they still did it. So you see, you guys see the problem here. Yeah. It's double standards. They act like Mm -hmm. they act like they don't know politics when it's time to fight, to do some shit and get some shit done. (laughs) But then when it's, when it's time to like, you know, fall in line, all of a sudden they know how to play the fucking game. They're professionals at this shit. Like what the hell? Yeah, that's why whenever I came across a clip over the last two years where it showed, for example, like Chuck Schumer forced a vote, there were other examples of forcing, quote unquote, forcing the vote. And I would make sure that I would like put hashtag force the vote in that clip because it's like here is other examples of forcing the vote strategy happening being done, but from the establishment point of view. So it is a legit stat, uh, strategy. And the last thing I want to say uh, is I agree with you, Sabi, with, uh, you know, doing the Medicare for all vote. But there's also like, uh, you know, we got Eric has his uh, 10 demands and then the GOP, they actually 11. have some legit. Um, the One of the demands was to allow any representative to be able to put an amendment onto to um what's, to put it up for a vote in amendment. So yep. right now how it's been set up since Nancy Pelosi's been there and other speakers of the house, you know, it has to be by the will of the speaker. That's how you can vote on bills. No, they're fighting. They're saying, Hey, any representative should be able to put in their own amendment to be voted on. So now you don't even, you know, you don't have to rely on it going through formally to force the vote. Now, any one person can vote. Go ahead. That's why I said when, when they were saying that, um, that the requests were only personal. That's why I was telling people tonight, that's not true. Some of the things they were asking for, like number one, trying to make it easier to remove a speaker. That's not personal. <laughs> I guess it's changing a process. And and I think that kind of goes back to the Paul Ryan days. I, Case, I don't know if you remember that, but remember Paul Ryan was mm-hmm. not popular yep. when he was speaker of the house. And it was one of those things yep. where it's like, well, how do we get rid of this guy? Yeah, yeah. And, and now they're going to be on their toes because 
they have to every time they make a decision they have to think about oh shoot is this going to cause a um a vote to come up for my speakership okay no i can't do that you know such and such they they have to think twice before that's right go ahead tim uh i just i just so like frustrated i don't even know how to engage sometimes with some of these people online or like on Twitter or anywhere like where they where they try to pose the narrative of, you know, oh, that's so two years ago, like get over it. Or or it's something along the lines of or how how Anna was trying to say that it was gonna lose. So why waste it? As if you know you know what I mean? Like like there was ever something that just came across the first time and every just and it just took and it just ran and it was passed immediately. You know, that's like right. women's rights or civil rights or like you know what I mean? Like any any of those things, slavery. You know, it was the first time. There was no problem with it, that ending. Like you know, it's just like you fucking like you. It's just like the 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 dishonesty is what irks me most about it because these are educated people, much smarter you know than long, me. You guys know how long people fought for civil rights in this country, like for the civil right. rights movement. I mean, this whole thing is like. That's like saying, don't do a boycott, don't do a protest, don't mm-hmm. do a sit-in because it's going to fail. Right. Because we all know women's rights passed on the first vote. Like, there was, they didn't have to, there was no issues there. Like, what but the, the hell? Pathway, like- <laughs> the, the, the struggle, the struggle, even like the, the women's suffrage movement uh, for mm-hmm. the women to have the right to vote, that was a real struggle that they went through. Right. For people who don't know, like they had hunger strikes, they were thrown in jail because they refused to eat. Imagine if Anna Kasparian's head just pops up and says, don't do it because it's going to fail. <laughs> so one thing I, I would say is, is like what was part of the real power of, of, of their movement? And I would say, you know, part of it was a very straightforward demand, you know, that they wanted the vote. And it was very clarifying you know, and either you, you were with them or, or against them. I, I feel like part of how the, the system really, you know, gets all the lefties fighting and gets everybody discouraged and whatnot is by confusing everything, making it all about these trivial things and, you know, and the vote or the, or the speaker and whatnot. And this is kind of why I'm, I'm proposing this idea of, of having a, a simple, clear set of, of demands and a strategy that that's basically along the lines of you know either you're with us or against us. You either you know you're either serving that top point one percent, or you're or you're on the the side of the just. And I know it, it's not an easy thing. I mean, it's not a simple path or a simple thing that's just going to happen. But I, I feel like part of why we're not getting the, the inspiring more people is because we're not giving them a path. We're not giving them a plausible plan. And so there are, there are all kinds of ways to criticize this and knock it down, but I guess what I would say with respect is that if someone is going to say, you know, this isn't the best way or this isn't the way to do it, then you should have a better plan, a better set of demands, or a better strategy than that has more, a better chance of, of succeeding because we're going to have to pick something and do something. No, that's true, because even with uh, even in reference to force the vote for the people who did back away from it and say, no, this is not a good idea. There was no backup plan. They didn't offer an alternative strategy. And so after 
Pelosi was elected as speaker, there was no repercussions. And so Jimmy Dore had talked about this before. He said that he actually had said to Kyle Kalinske, okay, what do we do now? Because they voted for her. They voted for her. And Jimmy said, Kyle Kalinske said, nothing. We're not going to do anything. That was a missed, another missed opportunity. What do you mean we're not going to do anything? So we see, like, there should have been a plan B. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm big on plan A, plan B, that kind of thing. You guys know I'm, I'm pretty organized. So if you come to me with this action, I'm always going to ask, like, okay, what do we do next? So, again, like, my show wasn't around during Force the Vote. I didn't have a show at that point. But I remember even asking, even then when I was watching the town hall, I remember asking myself, like, what happens if they don't do it? What's the next step? What's the backup plan? And so it seemed like there wasn't one. And the squad just basically got away with not owning up to the principles that they said they would they would back and support. Plan B should be we get in the streets, right? Right. Stop supporting them is what I did. Right. And we'll see. But that, and, that's, and calling it out. <laughs> right. But see, that's the other piece to this, right? Stop supporting them. So that was something that Jimmy Dore told people to do. Don't donate to them. Stop supporting them. And then there was all this backlash from some mm-hmm. of the more uh, legacy left slash PMC media crowd as to like, well, no, we can't just give up on them. We still have to fight for them. And I'm just like, no, that was when I think for me, that was a big split for me. That was when I was like, I can't watch these people anymore because yeah. I felt like Jimmy was 100% spot on. I'm like, no, why should you still donate to them? They just showed you they're not going to fight for you. And then after that, the way they continued to vote on legislation was another red flag for me. They're strike breakers, you guys. They yeah. voted against the rail workers getting the opportunity to go on strike. I don't care if it was going to pass or not. It's the principle. It's the fact that you Mm -hmm. were okay with preventing these guys from getting the opportunity to go on strike after they have not received a raise. By the way, Congress gets a raise. Congress gets unlimited sick days. Congress gets good health insurance. So to prevent those workers who are on call 365 days a year to tell them, no, sorry, but we're going to prevent you from going on strike. It's just, to me, it's, this goes back to the class issue again, because I don't Mm -hmm. care when people come to me and they tell me Corey Bush was working class. She was homeless once she came from the Ferguson protests. Great. That's in the past, bud. Keyword was <laughs> that's in the past. You know how much a congressman or congresswoman makes their first year. The first year going in, they're making six figures. Most of us don't make that. So the point I'm trying to make is they're not in that lifestyle anymore. And it's easy to get comfortable with the perks that come along with that. Mm-hmm. And I'll say this to people too. For some people, once they start making that kind of money, they don't want to risk it. Yeah. She's been homeless. So of course she's not going to, she knows what it's like. So she's now that she has that bag secured, she's not letting it go. And the other thing is the popularity of the squad. Now I remember they had a, I think it was in Massachusetts, Sabby. They had, and I think you talked about it. They had an event where it was like three out of the four of them were there 
and like no nobody showed up pretty much and not a lot of people showed up and then also um the uh what's her name that we were just talking about she had a book recently and it, mm-hmm. it didn't sell that many copies at what at, at all you know um so i think that one of the things that they hurt their biggest hurt or biggest damage they do the most right now is the next cycle of leftists the next cycle of progressives they hear so many i i know of someone personally that i ran as a progressive that they said you know how many times i i call to try to raise money and they they're calling me um the the fraud squad or they're saying hey you know yelling at me for something that i didn't even do yet or not yet but i didn't even do um as far as referencing aoc and, and the weakness of the current progressives so they're not helping that we could have had maybe we had a few you know summer lead and a couple of people came in that's supposed to be quote unquote progressive but who knows if we would have had 20 more of them if we had good progressives from the beginning coming there and forcing the vote we see how the representative like lauren bulbert people disagree with them they're getting flamed in the media but the grant their grassroots are so yep yeah. They still are. They still are. It's true. I, I interviewed a lot of these candidates that were running in 2022. I interviewed them like I can't believe it's almost been two years ago now, but um, I interviewed a lot of them. And one thing I noticed as well is that there were some of them that I thought probably could have won if the squad hadn't failed miserably the way that they had. And I'll, I'll give a couple examples. Christine um, Olivo. Christine comes from the activism community. She's in Florida. She was one that I had talked to her multiple times. She was one that I was like, she could probably win if it wasn't for people just being upset with the squad, you know? So she didn't get as much traction as she should have received. And the other one was Ali Dousimer. Ali Dousimer was another one that I think she really gets it. And I think she could have won as well. And by the way, I still hear from them today, right? So I think that the squad's behavior and their actions actually ruined it for the progressive candidates that came after them. Those are two real ones. Like um, Ali Delsimer did all five gauntlets um, of the People's Gauntlet. Um, uh, Christine Olivo did one of them. So they really saw the vision for what I was trying to do, and they just ran. They was an advocate of it. That's how I was able to get a meeting with Marianne um, at one point to to pitch it to. She had a uh, a slate of progressives that she were or leftists, whatever you want to call them, that she was promoting, and they had the meetings like once a month. And I was able to, and uh, Christine Olivo and also um, Ali Dosimer was part of that, and they were able to get me a meeting with all of them. And the whole, it was only them pretty much. And I think one over, one other person actually that was really, really good that he did all five gauntlets. Um, but for, for out of like maybe let's say 20 people, like only a handful of people caught the vision and was like, oh yeah, I definitely want to do that. There were other people, they were like, well, what am I going to get out of this? Am I going to be able to raise money by doing this? And mm-hmm. to me, it's like, it's just, a, it's about you putting on paper where you stand on all these issues that progressive care about and not only that because i got feedback from people saying man i didn't even know about this issue that's on this gauntlet and it forced me to do research so now i am stronger on that issue you know yeah. so 
But I, were they running as Democrats? These are all people running as Democrats, as leftists. Well, I, I just don't yeah. go see ahead. How that, that, I just don't see how that can be anything but a non-starter. Yeah. yeah. Well, this was this was a couple years ago, Eric. This mm-hmm. is not like yeah, like I interviewed them mm-hmm. like two years ago. This was before all that craziness happened. Like this was before all of that, and that's what I was saying. Like those people they probably would have stood a, a greater chance at actually winning their races had it not been for the squad's failure would force the vote. Like this was literally right after that. Um, and I thought, like, but, but I think the, the point is, it, but, but I think the point is it, it wasn't going to happen. You know, it didn't happen with the squad. It wasn't going to happen with them. It isn't going to happen now. So, I mean, step one has to be Dem exit at this point. Well, yeah, yeah. no, I totally, obviously, I totally agree said, with that. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I'm just saying that because of the actions of the squad, that actually made it worse for the future progressive candidates. And the ones that you have now, I wouldn't even call them, quote unquote, progressive. The ones that are being called progressive, Maxwell Frost turned his back on the Palestinian community so he could get a seat at the table. And now he's in D.C. in a place where he can't even get a home. He can't get an apartment because they don't rent to him because of his credit score. So he's talked about that. So he's in that situation um, Summer Lee. So I saw a clip of Summer Lee saying um, when she was running, she wanted to be like Malcolm X. Have you heard any interview from Summer Lee since she got nope. into? I think we nope. need to start calling them, you know, so-called progressives. Or the one I, I like is uh, foulgressives. Nope. But nope. We, we should hear. I want to hear from Noel. Well, let me bring in. Um, well, Tim, are you? Um, were you finished, Tim? Because I want to make sure I bring in Zach yeah. as well. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to make one final point. Um, what you, wow, they're trying to make this talking point about it was a personal ask or whatever. Like, I think that's regard beside the point. The fact right. of the matter is the strategy works. Like, stop trying to, like, you know, reason your way out of this. That the strategy fucking works. Period. That's it. Like, <laughs> I agree. That's all I just I need to say. <laughs> That's right. Thank you so much, Tim. I'm going to go ahead and bring in Zach. Uh, Noel, if you want to go ahead and unmute, I want to get your take on all of this as well. Um, good evening, everybody um, in the forum and in the chat. Um, I have to say that, you know, I agree with Tim, I mean, with Eric in principle, that the bottom line is this system is functioning as it was designed. And, you know, I tend to look at um, the historical context as a good predictor of where we're going. And the reality is when you look at the guardrails of the United States economy, again, it was rooted in slavery. And the only thing we have seen constant from the beginning to now is that the people who own the the major means of, of production of goods and distribution from generation to generation, from century to century, they maintain the control and power. And when we look at those historical movements through our nation's history where power was harnessed um, enough to force some change, like I said last time, they never give up. They never sleep. It's just like the devil. They regroup and their focus is to maintain the ultimate control on the power and the major means of goods and production. And 
I've said, you know, many times before, this is a 21st century virtual plantation, complete with gatekeepers and everything in between. And so what we have to recognize in terms of what was going on in the Congress as the, the Republicans are going through these machinations about a speaker, what it is theater, yes, it's theater, but what it does demonstrate and prove is that the force the vote tactic works in terms of the objective is to expose who's voting for what, when, where, and why. So it's not that you get, um, like you say, that Nancy Pelosi is not speaker, but you get the opportunity to force her hand to bring Medicare for all to the floor so that even if it doesn't pass, you understand who the villains are. And that is something they're not going to tolerate. And we know that these things look different on the Democrat side versus the Republican side because of the diversity of the constituencies. You know, the people on the right, and I mean the Republicans and the far right Republicans, they can afford to grandstand and do force to vote because their power comes from a constituency that is generally homogenous in terms of white people. They're starting to get a little diversity and a lot of the diversity that they're getting is coming by way of frustration because people are not getting any answers otherwise. And they see that at least the Republicans are willing to wield power. And that is attractive to some people. You know, never mind the fact that the Republicans are not proposing anything that benefits the mainstream of in terms of poor and working poor. But as we've discussed before, the re when Donald Trump, who has this ironclad grip on at least 60% of the um, rank and file Republicans, it is his allegiance to the principles of white supremacy that gives them identity and they follow him no matter what. They don't care, like he said, if he shot somebody on, you know, Fifth Avenue in the light of all of the, the, you know, misdeeds and malfeasance that we know he is culpable for, he maintains that control. And the rest of the Republican Party understands it. They respect it. And that's why no matter what forum he came in, in terms of accountability, be it the two impeachments or the, um, the investigatory committee under Congress, they stand down because they know if they cross him, they cross all of their base. On the Democrat side, it's much more diversity. They can play those cultural issues to get out of a tight. They can scream, oh, LGBTQ, labor, even though they don't represent labor anymore. And so they can spin the narrative differently. But that means, like Brianna Joy said, the speaker has an iron fist and a Gucci glove. And so what we see is the pipelines that feed the people to the national level. It is it's like a revolving door and you say all of the right things as you are running to get to those congressional seats. And, you know, AOC is talking all the right talk. She's building support because she needs those votes of the disenchanted, the dis disaffected and the dispossessed. 
But once she crosses that threshold and gets into Congress with Cori Bush and I honor um, Presley and all these people, it's a whole new game. And your allegiance goes to the party. And that's like you said, Cynthia McKinney said, listen, you know, they came to me and said, you, whatever the party, the, the higher up say, do we do, we march in line. And they turned Cynthia McKinney around when she did not. And mm -hmm. so it, it is a different type of paradigm, but it all feeds into the overall understanding that this system is designed to maintain the control as it does. The Democrats are serving the corporate capitalist beast just as well as the Republicans, but it's just a different set of strategies that they use. And and I wanted to make another point earlier on in the podcast. We you were talking about, and I think it was Case Study QB who mentioned something about you know this independent media forum. It emerges in like a um, a type of space for activism, and the people like you say with the smaller podcasts and the smaller subscriptions are the ones who are generally having more integrity and they are really more focused about change. But as you get up to those bigger shows that that get the most money and this and that, they become a part of that democratic orbit and apparatus that is used to maintain the control over the narrative for the Democrats, which is why Ryan Grimm has the access that nobody else does. But we have seen Ryan Grimm exposed for being, as Brianna Gray's podcast would suggest, a bad faith actor. But what I, I go a step further and say, by the time these people get national profiles like Bernie Sanders, AOC and all the rest, Nina Turner, ABC, they all become bad faith actors because they're all now have divided allegiance between the narrative of change, but wanting to stay inside that Democrat gateway so that they can maintain influence and positioning in that democratic orbit. And so um, I try, when in my personal life, I try and meet people where they are politically in terms of their understanding of the system and their understanding of history. And I try and lead them into understanding that this system is functioning in a dysfunctional way from top to bottom. And once you accept that, because a lot of people don't want to accept it, but once you accept that this whole thing is really about capital and it is really about the rich staying rich, no matter how you shade them, color them, then it begins to make a type of sense. You begin to understand what's going on in the Democrat Party. You understand the hijinks and theater over on the Republican side, because at the end of the day, like I say, the major guardrails in this nation have stayed the same, which tells you no matter what era you're in, no matter what the controversy is in, the rich will stay rich and the poor will stay poor. And I think it was Frederick Douglass. Um, I think it was Frederick Douglass who said power concedes nothing without fight and struggle. And that has been the truth. And it remains the truth. 
Well said, Noel. Zach, what's your, your take on all of this in reference well, to what's happening right now with Force the Vote and everything? Hi, Sabby. Um, that was really powerful. Uh, Noel, you took the words right out of my mouth. I, I agree 100%. Um, I, I wrote some notes, sorry. Um, to Eric's point, I think um, it, it might be a little, you know, naive of me or childish, but I think plan A should be the streets. Um, the, the country is 100% corrupt. They don't really care if we live or die. Um, a convergence movement to a general strike is, I think, what we should be focusing on, at least in the back of our heads. Um, but force the vote, it, it just, we've been talking about it for, what, two years? Um, it, it it exposed them 100%. They can't, they cannot say, like, Ro, you've basically, you know, been in the ring with Ro Khanna on several occasions, and he he's made himself out to be a progressive by, you know, giving access to people in the progressive sphere and with your interviews it just uh it, it has exposed him and the rest of them so um i i kind of uh forgot my place but um i think that's really fascinating to think about that they aren't progressive they never would have forced the vote um and w- we need to start from there yeah, and I want to add in reference to Rokana uh, as well. And I'm going to talk about this tomorrow night, but I also saw the clip with Bree and Rokana uh, from this morning on Rising. And I noticed something about him. He uses the same talking points uh, when he goes into left media. When he goes on to mainstream media, he doesn't use those talking points. It's something that I've, I've noticed. I've been paying clear attention to. I'm going to break this down tomorrow. But... I think that even with someone like him, I feel like he wasn't really, I, I guess I should give the backstory for people who are not aware. Rokana was not originally a Justice Democrat. Rokana was a part of brand new Congress. Same thing with Pramila Jayapal. Right. And that was a neoliberal, you know, <laughs> that's right. Infiltrate. That's um, right. And why, why some of you listening may be wondering, like, why am I telling you this? because that's important for you to understand where he's really coming from. He was a part of brand new Congress. And then when brand new Congress decided to merge with Justice Democrats, that's how he and Pamela Jayapal, that's how they became Justice Democrats, but they were never a part of the original brand. So their beliefs and their their principles were different. It was more neoliberal, not so much progressive. So right. I, I keep saying that and I keep stressing that so that people understand what you're really getting with someone like Rokana and Pramila Jayapal. Like those of you that saw the show tonight, you listened to the audio of Ryan Grimm interviewing Pramila Jayapal about Force the Vote and Pramila Jayapal just flat out lying. Just flat out lying about Force the Vote. It just... This was between Nancy Pelosi and Kevin McCarthy. No, it wasn't. Well, and so I let's take that to another like logical conclusion. Why would any of them ever vote for Nancy Pelosi in the first place? That that was my thing during Force the Vote. 
I, I get the, the strategy of um, getting concessions, but I'm, I'm an AOC type that has built herself uh, a radical, a leftist. I would never, ever vote for her for any reason. I, I think the point about Ro Khanna also is the fact that he voted for Joe Crowley against AOC at the beginning. And it wasn't until he got flamed on Twitter that he did a dual endorsement. And if you're a justice Democrat, which he was at that time, how in the world would you vote against another justice that like makes absolutely zero sense, especially when Crowley is known to be an establishment Democrat? Well, yeah. And, you know, because mm-hmm. they have no strategy whatsoever. It's it's really laughable. I like because they're supposed to back the incumbent. They're not supposed to exactly. back. This is the same thing that happened with Nina Turner. If you guys remember, the, the whole rule was that they had to back Chantel Brown in the second race because Chantel Brown was the incumbent, even though if you want to go by definition, Nina Turner was the progressive candidate. The progressive Democrats in the House were told they could not support Nina Turner. And of course, you know, they said there were threats and things like that made as well. Well, so how much of that do you believe? Well, a little, but so. I don't know. I I will tell you one thing. I do know. I mean, one person I trust having information from that has been a politician is Cynthia McKinney, because I feel Mm -hmm. like she just keeps it real. Like she doesn't. She doesn't live in America anymore. So I guess she just feels like, you know, I'm not a part of this Congress anymore. So I can She's be more state. open with you guys. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Cynthia McKinney uh, has been very vocal about what is said to them when they get in, what they're expected to do, what Democrat Party leadership tells them to do. And if you go against that leadership, they will find ways to remove you. And that's what they did with Cynthia McKinney and Dennis Kucinich. Now, this was done different ways for people who are not aware. Cynthia McKinney, with her, they put up uh, money from APAC. APAC, they put them up against her. So she couldn't beat that, right? And she served two terms in the Congress. Um, Actually, I think it was like, I think it was like 10 years. I I have to double check. But with Dennis Kucinich, they redrew his district so that he would lose. Taking away his seat entirely. It's so corrupt. Exactly. But this is what they'll do to people. Like, they can change the rules. And this is how you expose the hypocrisy. Okay, when it comes to the Congressional Progressive Caucus, it's like, oh, we have to support the incumbent. That's the ironclad rule, this and that. But on the flip side, you got Hakeem Jeffries you know, working to unseat incumbents. Like you say, Savvy, they're redrawing districts to unseat incumbents. So what we get is that iron fist in the Gucci glove. Mm-hmm. Whether, no matter where where you stand, if you're not doing what we say do, we're going to come up with a reason to get rid of you or not support you and, not, and we're going to justify it. And if you aren't paying attention, We'll be literally speaking out of both sides of our mouth and doing everything just as just like the Republicans do is that same thing. Once you get into Congress, they're ruling you with an iron fist. Yes. 
I mean, one of the things I just wanted to say about force the vote, I've, I've, I've heard this criticism that, you know, force the vote, of just trying to force the vote for a, a vote on Medicare for all is silly. It's like it's not, you know, it's just a performative thing. And we and it should have been force the vote to not vote for Pelosi to, for another speaker. And, I mean, I, I, I get that. I mean, I think it, it's a reasonable criticism of a sort to say, I mean, my own thing is, you know, to have big demands and whatnot. But the, the point of force the vote was was not to win. I mean, you know, to have this big, huge win, you know, that was going to transform everything in the landscape. The point of, of force the vote was just to get them to do something, well, <laughs> to do something, to do anything for us. And, and it exposed every squad Democrat as just another Democrat. Exactly. They could have forced the vote on any issue, by the way, you guys. It didn't necessarily have to just be Medicare for all. It could have also been canceling student loan debt. Actually, that would have been a big one, too, given that time like we were in the middle of the pandemic as well. It could have been something like that. It didn't have to just be Medicare for all. So I think the point that we want to point out here is the fact that there was inaction regardless of what the reason was, what the policy was. They did not act. And I think that's the thing that we have to keep. We have to keep like beating that drum that like they had an opportunity there to actually use leverage. That was the first time I felt like they had that opportunity to use that leverage and they chose not to. And they continue doing so uh, after. And I have to tell you this week, it has been rather cringeful for me to sit here and to watch the Republican politicians play this game all day long. Successfully. In my eyes. (laughs) Exactly. And this is the other thing I was trying to get across to people too back then when there was that lie going around that Kevin McCarthy would become speaker. Obviously, you guys, we see that if that were actually true, Hakeem Jeffries would be speaker right now. We could have been forcing the vote if it didn't happen on the first round. We could have been forcing the vote for a month if need be. For two months, for three months, for four, for a year, however long it takes, we could have been forcing the vote. So this lie that went around telling people that Kevin McCarthy would become speaker, that killed some of the support for force the vote. And that, in its sense, I also feel like that in itself, that discouraged people. And that was a lie. And even today, people are not admitting that that wasn't true. Like some people are still trying to say, well, no, we didn't say that. The tweets are still there, you guys. The videos are still there. (laughs) Yes, it's just like, how could you make up this lie? Like you don't think people can just look up the book. If that were the case, why would DSA actually have this as a strategy in their handbook? They explain step-by-step how to do it. But here's- So that's my take. But here's the thing, they are, when you have this fight over whether force the vote is a legitimate tactic or not, the whole thing, the reason that they defend tearing that down is because it is a legitimate strategy. And the purpose is to shield those members from having to be exposed for not supporting the types of legislation that would benefit the mainstream. And so 
what the what the leadership is saying is if you vote our way, we'll protect you. And that orbit and apparatus in the Democratic Party that includes um, TYT and these, they are the ones being used to beat down the more legitimate voices because they don't want this type of strategy going forward. And remember, in independent media, that is a subset of the um, major media outlet, but it's the smallest piece. So when you put out confusing and disingenuous information like, oh, forced vote doesn't work because if they had have done forced to vote, then Kevin McCarthy would have been speaker. When that type of narrative plays in the mainstream media, they're reaching millions of Americans who are not dialed in, who don't really understand the process, who trust that their Democrat representative is fighting for them. They take that and they run with it. And then they become even more discombobulated when they run into people like me saying, well, no, that wasn't the truth. They're like, oh, no, because I heard. And these people are arguing, you know, vehemently as if they know what they're talking about and they really don't. So the the strategy of the Democrat Party is to use TYT and those outlets to combat the discourse that's going on in the independent media, but they stick with it in their bigger picture because they know it's effective in the mainstream media. And they're like, well, we can tap down those folks in independent media who really know who, as you say, savvy can pull the documents and read it. And so, but we're not really going to deal with them because they're a minority and their whole thing is to control the narrative. And if they can use the big fish in the independent pool to to control the smaller fish in the independent pools, and like I say, they never rest. If you slip one in, like AOC kind of slipped in, they beat her into position right away. And now she's on TV talking about, oh, and the Democrats were lockstep. We were all in accord and this and that. And we voted for Hakeem Jeffries, not even realizing what that really says to people who've been paying attention. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, we put up this unified front. And to the mainstream people who don't understand the inner workings, they're saying, ooh, all the Democrats are standing together. They this and that. And I'm like, Lord have mercy. And it's a difficult web to untangle when you're dealing with, you know, like in my case, you're dealing with, you know, people who voted Democrat all their lives and this and that. When you try and help them to understand or deconstruct what they think they understand, it's like pulling teeth out of a dinosaur. And so at a certain point, you just be like, ooh, child, let me go somewhere and sit down because y'all are beyond my reach. You know, and then they attack you saying, well, you know, you think you know it all and this and that. And I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm not the right vehicle to reach you. But I pray that somebody reaches you before it's all said and done. It's very difficult to convince someone that has followed the Democratic Party, like the whole life, like it's, it's very difficult. I mean, it wasn't easy for me either, like when I first came around, but it was Obama that really woke me up. I mean, especially like his second term, I was like, wow, this guy's a joke. <laughs> so Michael I think Moore was my awakening. I think the movie Sicko, when he took those 9-11 firefighters to Cuba to get health care, I 
that's when I started uh, my political awakening. I, I thought I'd add that. Yeah, I think that that is that is very key. Thank you so much for that point, Noel. I think this is something that we have to keep in mind is that not everyone is going to have a political awakening at the same time that we do. And for some people, it may take others to run around. But I think what Noel was saying about the Democratic Party having a hold on certain like outlets, that's 100% true. You have to remember that Jeffrey Katzenberg, who gave that $20 million to TYT, he is friends with Nancy Pelosi. So obviously, <laughs> there's not going to be much of a push to lean towards a socialist direction on TYT. And when those voices have come on, you saw like Olami was on a TYT. Actually, I wouldn't necessarily call her a socialist, but when she was on TYT and talking about defunding the police and police abolition, heavy pushback, heavy it's pushback. Crazy, Sabby. They can't, I, they can't even relent one, one inch. That is what get, gets me going crazy. And it, it you know, makes me upset because like there are simple things that we can all agree on and the TYT types Sam Cedar um and this is my last thing I, I didn't really have anything else um but they they can never relent the narrative and it's it's almost maddening it makes you insane because at least it makes me feel like we can't have an intelligent conversation between two people um, about the issues because they're already snaking their way, you know, because they have their donors and whatever um, to, to a point where like, I'm, I lost my words, but you get what I'm saying that they're already at their narrative and we like, it almost um, with Ryan Grimm, it, it, felt that way it looked that way that stay on narrative stay on narrative and i i got mad watching that video because it's like oh my gosh i can't even talk to these people i, I that's and my last part that is exactly i mean you have to believe your eyes it is exactly what's going on when shama say what basically dismantled ryan Grimm and called him out for the sophistry that he was involved in, he just sat there, kept that look on his face and kept repeating the same line. And then we say, well, why is it that Ryan Grimm has access to all the squad people and nobody will talk to any of the rest of us? And it's because they know you will ask the tough questions. In that piece that Savvy showed where um, it was Cori Bush in front of the Capitol, when that man was asking her um, about, you know, Medicare for all, and she was like, oh, no, that wasn't our piece of legislation. It was from Bernie Sanders in the Senate and Pramila Jayapal and blah, blah, blah. That hander knew that she was about to say something on a recorded place that could have been used against her going forward. And he interceded and ushered her out of the way. Because he is saying, okay, this is over because he saw that she was cornered. She was, you know, at that point boxing above her weight and she was saying things that did not make sense. So he interrupted and interceded.
And so, and then you have Anna Kasparian saying, oh, he, 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 I just wish Brianna would go on because Brianna is making a point and is resonating. Like Sabby suggested, Jimmy Dore was not the only one who supported force the vote, but it resonated in the arguments that he made. So he became the one to take down. And so now yes. is, oh, you know, take down Brianna Joy because she's really must be resonating. And it's just, it's so clear to me that these people really are bad faith actors and that they're doing what they have to do to maintain control. Do you really think a person who is friends with Nancy Pelosi would be contributing 25 million or $20 million to any outlet that would eventually pose a challenge to her? That is exactly. not the way that orbit and apparatus works. You have to follow the money. This is the point that I've been trying to drive home is like, of course, they're not going to they'll criticize corporate Democrats. But of course, they're not going to be like, yes, you guys need to challenge Nancy Pelosi. That's why when Bree said in that that radar that a call went out, that was the first time I heard that. And that's what I was like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. Now we understand how things how things how things went to be. And, and another thing that I want to mention as well. The guy that interviewed uh, Corey Bush, that was Max Blumenthal, uh, Noel. And even with that, this whole piece about it was Bernie Sanders and Pramila Jayapal's bill, that doesn't make any sense because we've seen them all year support bills that they did not write. So to me, that was just a cop out as an answer. And that's why that guy like her, I, I don't know if that was her bodyguard or a staffer, jumped in to intervene, to protect her, to prevent her from answering the questions. What's so hard about answering the questions? You ran on Medicare for all. You said you were going to go to the house and bring the ruckus. And if someone has to jump in to intervene to prevent you from answering a question why you didn't force the vote on Medicare for all. There's a problem there. And what there's it a was big problem. is he saw the, and, and when you watch the video, you can see from her responses that she was in distress Yes, that handler read the moment and he said she is, you know, out of her comfort zone. She's in distress. And that's when he interceded. He was there to read that moment. If she was able to spin the narrative and do like Ryan Grimm and just maintain the line, they would have let it go on. But he knew that Max Blumenthal was savvy enough to unrattle her and get her to say what the real truth was. And he saw her coming apart. So he interceded and shut it down. And they do it all the time. They do it all the time. Like it's, it's really. It's their operating procedure, you know? Yes, it really is. I mean, we don't have time for this. You know, I know a lot of people that canvas for AOC, Bernie Sanders. I, I know a lot of people that phone bank for them, people outside of their district to help get them elected. And there's just no consideration at all, at all, for those people who were on the ground. And by the way, you don't win without the work on the ground. You just don't. And so for me, it's just, it's a slap in the face that you went out there and you took money from working class people, and then you turn your back on those working class people. Go ahead, Zach, and then I'm going to bring in. I think uh, that was... Um... All I had to say, I'm, I thank you for having me. It was a really good discussion. I will sit in the back and listen to everybody else. Have a good night, everyone.
All right, let's go ahead and bring in uh, Lance. Lance, I want to get your take on this. How do you feel seeing uh, Republicans force the vote for Kevin McCarthy? I think he's on, what, round 10 now? <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Hi, Sabby Noel, everyone. How you doing? Um, could I just say, oh, so what's without any sense of irony, right, the Democrats, I guess what they're saying is, ha, 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 look at those Republicans standing up against power, standing up against, you know, uh, um, people. Uh, they don't get in lockstep like us children do. Why can't they behave like us little boys and girls? I mean, that's really what they're saying. My God, it's like you acted like children, didn't stand up, crying on the house floor, you know, because you couldn't stand your ground. You know, what kind of pathetic little juvenile, junior high school people do we have in the Democratic Party? I mean, I mean, you might not like what the Republicans do, but they're grown-ass men and women. And where's the fear? And I ask this question because, look, it's being done by another party, but where's their fear? How come Matt Gates and Lauren Bobart and the rest of them, there was like 20 of them at one point, how come they don't have that same fear? about challenging the speakership, but the squad had that fear. What? What is it? <laughs> well, of course, then you got the Gottenheimer 10 or the, the shifting eight or 10 people on the conservative uh, uh, Democratic side. Don't pipe up. They don't say a word. They don't get in the news. They just say no. They just say thumbs down. You're not happening. Not happening, Nancy. Sorry. Even when she wanted the progressive agenda. You know, it wasn't because she was just in lockstep in that case, in some of those cases, with the with the Gottenheimer 10, Nancy Pelosi in that case really wanted some of the somewhat progressive stuff. And they said, no, screw you. And they got the committee ships. They voted her down and got the committee ship, committee ships. How pathetic is that? Remember the conservative Democrats voted the ship down. You you know? I'll answer your question, Sappy. The fear is in different regions. For the Democrats, they fear the party once they're elected, because as we have discussed, the party will use its means and methods to get rid of them. The Republicans fear, if they have any, is with their base. Because let's not forget, through the emergence of the Tea Party the and the Donald Trump um, phenomenon for whatever it is, it demonstrated that if you build that hardline core to your base in the districts, in the grassroots, you right. can flout anybody in the party. So as long as, and I'm willing to bet you these 20 who are being a thorn in the side of the um, Republicans trying to get McCarthy in, I bet they come from rock solid districts where no matter what they say or do, they're gonna be reelected. And so they don't fear their party. But on the Democrat side, the fear is with the party, which is why AOC and the squad and everybody have really become like double agents right. and are using their progressive, um, you know, progressive labels to shield the corporate Democrat objectives that they're pushing. And they're yeah. using all means to, to do it. So there is fear, but it's just indifferent.
Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. Those, are, yeah. Like Gottenheimer knows God. <laughs> so, 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 so the squad and all them played along to get the committee ships. They didn't get them. Sucked up and didn't get them. The Gottenheimer ten, they went against and said, "Screw you, Nancy. We're not going to do." That was about the salt tax. That was about a lot of things she really wanted, and they got the committee ships. So, I mean, my God. I mean, it's just, just like it's just the exact opposite. They got what they wanted and voted against and said, "Screw you, Nancy," and got the committee ship instead of playing along where they got nothing, you know. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just pathetic. Um, but overall, you know what I. Um, if I could just say, um, what, well, I just want to say what, what, that what, that video clip with the interview with the woman on MSNBC. They didn't say her name um, on the clip that was on Twitter, but that interview clip was very telling. When she said this so-called squad was never really a threat to the Democratic Party, that was very telling. That's. I think it really. Yeah. He's focusing on the money and all this. The reason these Republicans are have no fear of going up against the party is because they're serving the billionaire megacorp big money interests with what they're doing. And it's in the reason the, 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 the squad and the Democrats don't do that is because by not doing that, they're serving the billionaire big money interests. And so I think any analysis of this that, that doesn't get into to the money and how the money flows and how big money runs anything is is gonna is gonna be it's gonna be confusing, you know. But when you look at the money, I think it's very clarifying. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah. That makes uh, sense. Could, could I just yeah, if I could say that, like no, no saying before about the idea of the system's working just like it's supposed to. And that's the title of my series of essays, right? The system isn't broken. It's fixed, you know? And so this whole thing that's going on, all this literal political theater, is the fact that, there is, you know, the ratchet effect. We all know about the ratchet effect. So the job of, say, Bush gets in by a razor, razor thin margin, acts like they have a mandate with his tax cuts and his all his agenda. 100%. They get everything they want, Bush. He really did in eight years. He was proud of it. Right? Then Obama comes in with a filibuster-proof Senate, overwhelming House, a mandate. Everybody wanted all the stuff. That this stuff doesn't do anything for Democrats. Stat- it's called the status quo moids, I call them, right? Uh, and they just keep everything as is. Maybe make it worse, but don't do anything good. Keep it as it is. Then here we go again. Ratchet to the right. Now we have with Trump. Ratchet to the right now with House, with what the House has now. Then the Democrats get in with the squad, whatever. No, no. Status quo, status quo. Stop everything. Stop anything possible progressive, even if you have an overwhelming mandate. Then if the GOP gets in with a razor thin margin, then let that ratchet loose to go further, further to the right with free marketeer stuff, privatization, squelching our civil liberties. You know, uh, and all the rest of it. Well said, Lance. All right, Lance, thank you so much. I'm going to bring in um, CR. I want to get your take on this as well. How does this make you feel like seeing all this happen on the Republican side, but not on the Democratic side? Oh, do you really want my take, Sabby? I. <laughs> Oh, for the love of fucking gosh. Well, I mean, a lot of people have said, like, I'll try not to retread too much of the the ground that's already gone over, right? But one of the, just good, just to kind of retread a little bit was the demands thing, right? Was that you had a lot of people, especially Ryan Grimm, I've seen a lot on, on Twitter saying like, hey, everybody, like, 
don't listen to Jimmy Dore and the other people. I didn't oppose force the vote. I just didn't think your demands were right. I think the asked for correctly. Well, you know, whatever, you know, trying to make, you know, the nuance argument, of course. Right. But here's the thing, right? Just to kind of go, let, let, well, okay, let's just say that that was the case, right? That the argument really wasn't that, oh, we, 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 you know, Medicare for all, why are you asking for that? It's going to fail, of course. It's like, oh, it's just these, you should ask for other asks, like David Sirota, of course, and many other people made this argument. Like, oh, you're not asking for no, enough things, right? Okay, let's accept, let's, let's steel man their argument. So now here we are later, right? Why aren't they mad that none of their asks that were different from Medicare for all? Why aren't they mad that, that none of those even got tried? Because their whole argument hinged on, oh, you guys are, you guys have, okay, kind of the right strategy. You're just asking for the wrong asks. But you should be asking for da, 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 X, Y, and Z and A, B, and C, right? So that was their kind of like, so that, you know, they can kind of weasel their way because they knew like, ah, fuck, these guys are right. The strategy is a good strategy, but I have to still kind of shit on them. So I'm going to tell them that, your strategy is good. Your asks are wrong. But do you notice that none of these people that played that card then later said, well, why weren't our asks ever brought up? Because he knows they weren't brought up either. And they never shat on those same people. You, you hear what I'm saying? Because they're not directly affected. But, but, those- they, 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 but they said, they're like, oh, you should ask for this thing. You should ask for that thing. You should have, you know, you should ask for more pay-go exemptions or whatever. You know, they try to play a bunch of inside baseball and say that, oh, your guys' Medicare for all, which is doomed to fail, is just one ask and you're being narrow-minded. You're not asking for, that was kind of like the Ryan Grimm, David Sirota argument, basically, right? Was that we were being too narrow-minded. We only had the one ask. We should have multiple asks. Well, let's just say... We did more of their, we knew that they were going to do any of the asks. Why are they not now, since they agree that the strategy was right, the asks were wrong, why are they not mad at the same people that didn't do their asks? Not our well, asks, their asks. I'd say it's because they're not good faith actors. No. Yeah, exactly. I guess, I, I know, I know, I'm, I'm being facetious, of course. My question is yeah. being a little facetious. It is kind of begging for a certain kind of response. But the thing that, the, that that's the thing that kind of bothers me. That really sends off a lot of red flags going like, okay, if our strategy was shit based on just the asks, why are you still not mad at the fact that they got no demands? What, 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 what did they get for voting for Nancy Pelosi? What did we get? What tangible did we get? Oh, we're saving our powder for, for fucking 15 minimum wage. That was another thing. It's like, oh, you don't understand. Like, uh, uh, AOC was tweeting. You guys don't know what's going on in the background. And we're trying to save our powder for the 15 minimum wage fight. Wait, can Did, I chime in one second, CR, about saving what's going on in the background? I just want to chime in here for just a second. Why would we know what's going on in the background? We're not in Congress. <laughs> right. So it's just like even that comment from her, to me, that doesn't make any sense. Of course, we're not going to know what's going on in the background. But you, you, you guys, I guess, sorry, I kind of got beaten a little bit of a dead horse. Don't move on. But I just, it's in like, to me, it just really bothers me that all these detractors that kind of want to say like, okay, force the vote wasn't necessarily a bad idea. Just your asks were wrong. They're still not mad because shouldn't they be mad that they didn't get their asks? Because no, they had because... this whole, they, 
they had this whole other strategy. They told us, they told us, they're like, okay, force the votes right, but your Medicare for all ask is just too narrow and it's going to fail. Why don't you ask for all these other things? Like I think it was basically David Sirota's big argument. Shouldn't he be just as mad at the squad right now saying like, I had all these other alternative asks and you guys didn't do those also? You know, you know, that to me, that's the big tell. There's too many tells in this kind of thing. And I, and I hate it when people kind of go like, like uh, I've seen a lot of people on, on Twitter going like, oh, Brianna just won't let go that one time she was right two years ago. It's like, no, no, it's not about her not letting go of the one time she was right. You motherfuckers won't admit you were wrong and we're not going to let you guys get away with it. You dig? So that, I feel like that's where really where we're at right now is that it, it, it's too much of a tell, it, it, even though it's so basic, it sounds simple, and it sounds like a gotcha kind of question. But really, these people, they had a chance to ask for other asks. If their whole argument was the strategy's good, but your asks are wrong, well, where the fuck were your asks, and why didn't those asks go through too, and why aren't you holding them accountable for not doing your asks? But see, this is where the, I hate to say it again, but this is where the class element comes in. Because again, even though they had those asks, if they didn't get them, they were not affected. They were not hurt yeah. in any way, shape or form. So I think this is why I've said before, like these movements need to be led by people who are actually affected. Like people who want a change for student loan debt. If you look at like the debt collective, it's led by people who are affected by student loan debt. If you look at like the women's rights movement, it was led by women who were affected with the right of not being able to vote, etc. If you look at the civil rights movement, it was led by African-Americans that were directly affected. The problem comes in when you have these movements being led by people who are asking for demands that don't affect them on any level. So if the movement falls apart, just like with Bernie Sanders progressive movement, so to speak, if the movement falls mm. apart, it's no big deal to Bernie Sanders because he's still okay financially. He still has his job in the Senate. And then he'll tell you to go vote for Joe Biden. For everybody else that's listening, this is this just rang in my head just now. I just had a little aha moment. And I want you all to join in on with me. What, what's important of what just Savvy just said is we're, we constantly are scratching our heads and asking ourselves, why don't people who have health care give us health care? I know it's an oversimplification, but she's right. These people here, they don't have a skin in the game at all. So it is a little bit of a fool's errand to kind of say like, hey, if you notice, I mean, I forget, you know, there's been many people that have popularized it recently, but, you know, who first really popularized it was that if you notice every person who's against Medicare for all already has full coverage. It's always somebody that has full health care coverage. That's always telling you why you, you, the average worker don't deserve health care. Right. So and, and, and if we extrapolate what she's saying there, we, we can now realize that a lot of our demands that we're asking of these politicians that are quote unquote, supposed to be our representatives, how incapable even if their heart was in the right place, they're physically incapable to be able to understand the plight of the working individual and to be able to actuate that on an effective legislative level. We are basically asking these people to do the impossible. Am I wrong? But here's it's the not, thing. 
they do understand. They do right. understand the importance of of sick time, just in case in the case of the real workers. They understand the need for a minimum wage. Corey Bush came from at some point having been homeless. But These they're not people, impacted by it, like she's saying. Like Sabbath but that's says, not that's my point. It. That's my point in that the system is working the way it should. And that's why yes. when those people get to those high offices where they get six figure salaries and sick time and benefits and esteem, they're not going to threaten it. And that's the way the system was designed. That's why yeah. there's a school of thought that says you cannot change a system from the inside because it co-ops yes. you and cooperates you. And before you know it, you're doing the bidding of the system. That's why when we look at a Barack Obama or these or a um the current vice president Kamala Harris, these people look the part and their skin tone represents a type of disenfranchisement. But when you look into their real personal narratives, these people are nothing but Trojan horses that the black community drags in the center of the city because of symbolism. But at the end of the day, that they do the bidding of the system that empowers them. And so if we, if America, chapter line and verse America really opened their eyes to what was going on, like you say, we're petitioning people who have it all to give us crumbs, they would burn this place to the ground. But there is a very serious narrative manufacture and control that prevents them from fully ever accepting what the reality is. So when you come up with force to vote, they have operatives in their orbit who are going to distract and take you away from that thinking that it will work. Because, and when you think about it, Medicare for all has some of the broadest support across this country. If that yes. is not the right ask, there is no right ask. So these people are basically telling you these people who have access and in some circumstances unlimited access will have you believe that it's not possible for you. Yes. And they and then you know it's just but I was just going to say just to tag on to that and these people are our elected representatives. We treat them like they're individuals that are just purely to have their own point of view. Yes, that's true, but also no. Your point, your vote should reflect your constituency more so than your own individualistic point of view. Otherwise, again, we're we're really we're ruling by a plutocracy, uh, you know, an oligarchy, or any of those kind of other things. Because it's, that's are, the system that people believe. That I, I would just say have. this: they are representing their constituents, since their constituents aren't us. Their constituents are the people that pay them and own them. And that's a key thing to understand. Oh, I agree. I agree with everything that, that you're saying and Dewell say uh, totally. And so then then my next logical question will have to be that we all have to kind of go to that nobody wants to go to then as understanding that there is nothing political that we can do, that there is only one thing that we can actually do. And, and and it is the unspeakable. It is the thing that we're not allowed to say. And you know exactly what I'm fucking talking about. Right. You know, the, the thing that will not be televised 
are we are here's my question to you savvy are we at that point almost now understanding well, was really, how the system works what was really scary to me is that clip that we saw tonight from case study qd where the gentleman said that the federal government is going to have to take over labor that they're going to have to restructure it because there's so many people not going back to work so they're already talking about doing that and so this is something that i really need to bring cynthia mckinney back on because this is something that cynthia mckinney tried to forewarn me about every yeah. time you think you have a plan they are one step ahead of you so even cynthia mckinney said why are we still relying on national politics to be the be all end all and to fix things for us and that's coming from someone who was in the inside so she knows how the system works and that's what i'm trying to say is that expecting them to change i don't see that happening everybody talks a good game when they're running for office but that's because they're trying to get elected so when it comes to electoral politics this is why i tell people your best chance at changing things electorally is gonna be on the local level. It's not gonna be on the national level. Regardless if the person you voted for say they support Medicare for all or not, they're just one person. It's them and the rest of the Congress and then the president has to sign off on it. And then that's another roadblock. So let's say the house does agree to Medicare for all. Then it gets to the Senate. And let's say we didn't have a Joe Manchin or Kirsten Sinema, let's say it did pass. Well, then you have a, a Joe Biden who is not going to sign off on it. He's been very vocal about that. On the local level, it can be a little bit easier for you because you don't have to go against all these different people to try to get something to pass. And there's other ways to get things passed on the local level, like ballot measures, which we've gone over multiple times, or changing your amendment in your state. And so what we have seen is that progressive policies on the state level even in the red states, they are actually passing. They're not passing on the national level and they're not going to anytime soon. I, I wanna be very clear because I don't want people to think that this is gonna happen on the national level anytime soon. You have a house that is now controlled by the Republican party. You have Hakeem Jeffries, who's the minority leader, who is against progressive policies and is against Medicare for all. Then you have a Senate that has a Joe Manchin who also is against Medicare for all. And he's been primary challenged and it is very difficult to beat him because he has so much money. Yeah. So this is why the mobilization needs to happen on the local level. I'll bring up another example with criminal justice and I'll pass it back to you. There have been a number of people that have told me that nothing changed after the George Floyd protest on the national level. Not really because totally, yeah. nothing improved per se, but what changed the response was we're going to give more money to the police. That was the response. That wasn't what people were fighting for, but that was the response. However, when you look at the local level, there were changes on the local level. Some of the police departments in different cities actually did decide to change things in their police department on the local level. In fact, Boston is one of them. 
So I think that's the piece that people are leaving out. And we are so conditioned to focus on the national level that all these changes that are happening on the local level, even when you talk about the school districts, about the books that are allowed, things like that, it just falls by the wayside because nobody's paying attention to it. Yep. It's very, it's funny actually uh, that you say that because for a brief while when I was involved in San Francisco, barrier politics in the, uh, the late early 2000s, like 2008, 2009, one of the kind of slogans that I came up with that the, the group adopted for a while was uh, uh, think globally, act locally. And I know it's not, mm-hmm. you know, 100%, you know, uh, original or whatever, but, you know, we definitely were kind of trying to think on, on that level. And, 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 and to me, I think that's, I think that it's worthwhile always to, you know what I mean? To, you know, to, you know, to vote, you know, and stuff like that and, and to have some energy around that. But I agree a hundred percent that in terms of evolving yourself too much with national politics and trying to put all of your eggs in that basket, isn't going to really, you know, uh, uh, um, produce for one and for also it disenfranchises too goddamn much. And for me, that was a lot of, you know, kind of what I experienced right uh, uh and what a lot of other people i know experience like for you know obviously the justice democrats like we were you know been talking about earlier and how they didn't force the vote their whole thing was to go in there and to force the vote and not right wasn't that the whole thing that they, they were supposed to go in there and not vote for nancy pelosi and cause a ruckus and try to overtake the democratic party and then you see jamal bowman tweeting yesterday or whatever like how hey look how happy we are to not be causing a ruckus, not trying to disrupt the status quo. You know what I mean? Like, so if you're put all your eggs in the justice Democrat basket, which I know a lot of people have like <coughs> Carthic, <coughs> um, you know what I mean? <laughs> you, you will, you will, you'll get very super disappointed because this is the kind of shit they do. They get co-opted and that shit doesn't go anywhere. Uh, uh, our revolution, right. From uh, 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 Bernie Sanders campaign do you know you you do remember what they re- renamed themselves to oh they're pragmatic progressives yes now, right? yes they they went from our revolution fist in the air revolution to pragmatic progressives uh, uh, we're pragmatic progressives what the f- i hate to be kind of sounded like a second what kind of dickless shit is that you know i mean come the fuck on First of all, it should have it should have never been called our revolution. There was no revolution. I, I think people yes. were throwing that word around too loosely and they don't really understand what a revolution really means. And that includes Bernie Sanders too. They should have never thrown that word around like that. A hundred percent. And that's yeah, I just that's why I'm going all towards the same thing. It's saying that we wasted our time, all of us investing all of our energy, because I did too. I, I tried to get everybody I could, you know, get, 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 vote, vote for Bernie Sanders. You got to vote for any of the squad members if they're in your district, so on and so forth, you know. And, and what I what I what I think is those I don't think that it's bad necessarily for us to have some focus on that kind of game, but I think we're a hundred percent right that like we should have no faith whatsoever in that changing anything for us fundamentally, and. And unfortunately, humans want results in their lifetime, 
So they don't understand that things are going to take multiple decades. So local politics is definitely where I try to recommend everybody to. Any of my friends are like, I don't, I don't care who's going to be the next president. And I'm like, well, yes, but there's other things on the ballot. <laughs> you right. can vote. De- you can vote all the other down ballot stuff, and I'll be happy to tell you all the propositions because they'll be here in California, so we have propositions and stuff like that. It, it, but but still, people though they don't think of it like that. They're still their minds are stuck on that kind of the the bigger thing because they're stuck in the red team blue team. So uh, the big battles. You know what I mean? Just like a like a championship boxing match is what resonates with them. So they they go like, oh, okay. Like all I have to focus on is who's going to be the next president, who's going to be my next senator. And it's like there's so many more things down ballot, right? That that we have That's to right. get people excited about. And, and, and I don't know how to do that. You know what I mean? I I I wish that I did, but I do know that that that's something that I feel like, and I'm sure you agree, obviously, that that, that that's really what we got because we have more chances to kind of actually get some changes, obviously, because like you know, California is a perfect example of passing medical marijuana in 1996. Right. Yeah. So that long ago is when California first started letting people get medical marijuana. You know what I mean? Uh, so how how do we achieve that, right? That because that was way ahead of its time. It was way before any state, right? So and then that what and then so goes California as of the country because now we have all these countries that have uh, medical or totally recreational cannabis, right? And nobody that's not a big thing anymore. Even the most ardent uh, conservative Christians are not railing against that. So I feel because like there, it, there, there is a way that we can we can meld local politics with national politics, get these kind of momentum. You, you dig what I'm going towards? Yeah, but people are more in favor of the cannabis issue because it makes money for the state. Yeah, that's always good. Yes, you know, if you if whatever you want also works for the capitalists, you are more likely to get the kind of thing that you want. That's right. But, and they can tax it, too. That's the other thing. They can tax it like they do here in Massachusetts. So it brings in a lot of money to the state. So they're going to be in favor of that. They're going to support things like that. It's the items that will cost the state money that people may be more hesitant on. But I feel like even on some of those issues, people are coming around. Like I said, Nebraska passed $15 minimum wage. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, so we we know we know that we can continue to kind of move this as a national thing, very much like a gay marriage, right? Passed in the majority of states, I believe, before they finally decided to make it okay. We're just going to go ahead and make it a national law and say, you know, gay marriage is okay, right? But again, but also, and a lot of the lot even the activists amongst that group admitted that it actually happened on a faster track than they thought, right? And right, where did that come it, from? That that happened from states passing it first. So right, it was more that's local. true. That's true. But again, even with that issue, that doesn't cost money. Right. Ah, damn it. God, why you, you gotta throw monkey I mean? wrenches like, in my logic? Why yeah, you throw monkey they, wrenches in my logic? <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't cost money. I mean, like, we just passed we passed the millionaire tax in Massachusetts. That was one of the issues that it was either, I think Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren had that as part of their platform, like the millionaire tax, like tax the rich. So we passed that here. 
That hasn't happened like on the national level, $15 minimum wage was shot down. And by the way, I bring this up again for the people who say forced the vote was going to fail. So they shouldn't have tried it. They also knew $15 minimum wage was going to fail in the Senate too, but they still tried it. And now you have those senators on record and you see who voted against it. And Florida passed it. Florida passed it. That got shot down there. And then Florida passed it there. Yeah. Right. So Florida went, went against a bunch of other liberally conservative, you know, liberal uh, uh, kind of things. But then they also then passed 15 minutes. Wait, you're, you're like, what the fuck? So to me, that's the thing that I think that is is the uh, last thing I'll kind of say, yeah, and then I'll get out of the way is, is that like it was brought up much earlier was the suffrage movement. People forget that the year before suffrage passed, it lost really bad when they voted on it the year before. You know what I mean? And I believe when it passed, wasn't it was the fourth time? I think at least fourth or fifth time you want to correct I think me on those that laws passed in the states first. No, but but I'm saying like in terms of when they were voting on it nationally, I think there was four no, no. votes. I think there was I four understand. votes total on on, su- on women's suffrage national nationally. And uh, uh, um, yeah, the, the year before it, it did, yeah, it wasn't really that close to passing, but then the next year, that they got to get to get to bring it back up there the or the, ne- the year after that or the I'm sorry the next the next chance that they got to bring up the vote for it I'm sorry and that's the important uh, point it, it it did pass so that we we should push these things cuz it's the fucking right thing to do you know like it, it just because it's not going to fucking pass they go oh medicare for all is not going to pass i don't give a fucking fuck if it's not going to fucking pass it's the right thing to do all right and i'm gonna vote against the wars i'm gonna vote against the fucking the increase for the police officers and i don't care if it's my vote is gonna fail i don't care if i'm one versus a hundred like i don't understand this concept right here but i do know that there's been many times like suffrage and many other things like that that have failed multiple times pretty bad before they actually ended up passing and 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 so to me, I, I just want to say fuck you to anybody that brings up this kind of thing. Like, well, it's gonna fail. I don't give a fuck. I would like to have me and everybody else who's on the right side of goddamn history and cares about people to have their chance to raise their fucking hand and say I support this. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point, CR. I mean, the other thing to think about, too, and I do want to move on to the next caller, which is Ashura. Um, the other thing people should think about, too, like, should we have not supported Bernie Sanders because we knew he wasn't going to win? Should we have no. not voted for Bernie Sanders in the primary because we knew he wasn't going to beat Joe Biden? I, I, I would gladly vote for, for Jill Stein, which I did, and, and, and for Bernie Sanders, any of them over and over again. Why? It's not a wasted vote. Like any of those people are telling you that so oh it's a wasted vote because they didn't win. Like that's not how it works. In a democracy, we talk about a vote being equivalent to our voice in the democra the, the you know the, the democracy that we claim that we fucking have. Well, if that's really true, then why doesn't my vote just mean my fucking voice? It's not a vote against this or that or not a vote for the Democrat. Or, oh, you, you took a vote away from the Democrats or the Republicans. It has, it's not anything like that. It's not a zero-sum game. It's a my vote 
is my voice. And that's what anybody should fucking agree to in democracy. I don't agree with you say, but I agree that you have the right to say what you have to say. And uh, thank C- you very much C-R. for taking Thanks, me. Thanks, CR. Um, I want to go ahead and bring on Ashura because Ashura's been waiting for a bit. Hi, Ashura. What's going on? You just have to unmute. And uh, go ahead, Roger. I think we're waiting for Ashura. Go ahead. Yeah, so what I was trying to tell CR is that um, I'm looking at on the computer screen right now. It said that the women's suffrage began to uh, gain gather strength in the 1840s, um, and it was passing at state level, state by state, Arizona, California, Colorado, Idaho, Montana, Nevada, New Mexico, Oregon, Utah, Washington, Wyoming, Connecticut, New York, Maine, all of them. Now, I had missed the, the last hour of your show because I jumped off to get on a Zoom with Arizona for Medicare for All Coalition. Um, and then I jumped back to watch, to finish watching the last hour of your show. And I was looking at you talking about, um, uh, uh, Anna, Anna Kasparian. And so you had said, don't you know when, you know, when we got an activist group going together, whatever the case, and then there's always this one person that's out of step. That's like, that wants to throw a monkey wrench into the whole thing and try to derail the whole thing or whatever the case is. And, you know, you got to look at them side eyed. And I just said, Oh shit, that just what that's, that is exactly what just happened at the Arizona for Medicare for all coalition. There was this person, there's one person there. Cause I'm trying to, um, they're, they're like the guy's still deciding whether or not to, uh, to, um, do the, uh, do the like do the ballot initiative. I mean, he's leaning toward that way, of course, right? To you know, for Arizona, whatever. And um, seeing that we just did Arizona, I was just like, look, you got 24 months to gather signatures, so why wait? Um, but then there was this one person. Everyone was was like, oh well. The thing is, I read this article by oh, and Terrence was on there. By the way, I bought I bought Terrence on. And um, this one woman came on there talking about. Such and such wrote some article, and I read that article also, and they was talking about the one thing that it stops was the um was was the fact that the state's gotta have a balanced budget, you know, you know the spiel. States gotta have a balanced budget, they don't print their own money like Congress, so we have to go the national route. Um and she was trying to throw up all this different stuff, and you know I had to hit it with the public bank. So she didn't have anything after that. She just kept referring back to the article and I said, okay, so refer to my link in the chat that I put where I downloaded Ellen Brown, who is the president of the Public Banking Institute. I downloaded her book, um, The Public Banking Solution from uh, Austerity to Pop to Prosperity. Um, I screenshot every page of that, of that book and I put it in the chat. So while you're reading her thing, you read mine also. I explained to them, well, the Ken, the head guy already knew about like the, the, about how good a public bank was, but I was explaining to everybody else about, and she, and you know, like I went through all that and the women didn't really have anything for me. Then all of a sudden she pulled an Anna Kasparian and said, well, the thing is, if we do it just in, in Arizona, 
then the entire, what do you call it? The entire healthcare establishment is going to rain down hell on Arizona because we're the only one doing it. I didn't get a chance to tell them. That's the reason why you divide their forces by having it ran in, in multiple states to divide their resources, divide their attention, time and money. Right. And you know what I mean? And, and you know, she was like, oh, well, um, well, the thing is, if, if it don't work, then that'll take steam out the movement. And well, I, was just like, go. I was just like, okay, Teddy Roosevelt, I'm, and I'm always say, say this, Teddy Roosevelt was the first public official to say we need a nationalized health care plan. Okay, we a st- hundred years, more than a hundred years later, we still don't have it. Okay, so how's that going? Okay, so this whole thing about doing the same thing over and over and over and over again, expecting a different result is insane like crazy eddie 1980s reference i um, agree you know what i mean so she didn't really so i might i'm 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 gonna hope wait for you to make a clip of that where you with the part where you after anna kasparian talks and then you say and then you say you know that person you know, you know what you just said about some person is trying to derail the whole thing and all the activists are on board and then mm-hmm. Uh, uh, boom. So I'm going to, I'm crafting a, 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 an email. I'm going to try to get a clip of what you just said. And I'm going to send it to Ken because I'm going to try to uh, convince him to be like, no, keep going with a ballot initiative. You know what I mean? Because, because, you know, like. Yeah. There's always you know, going to be that person. Like, I don't know. I've been to so many of these like kind of meetings, these activist meetings. There's always mm-hmm. going to be that one person that's going to like keep pushing back and pushing back. And also, if they feel that way, then why are they at a meeting for a state effort for Medicare for all? That's yeah. what I was thinking. So yeah. <laughs> well, let me just say this. They, they, I think they're taking a, they're looking at both approaches, most likely, you know, kind of like Medicare for all everywhere is doing like a, a both approach. But she, what this woman was saying don't do don't do it at all just do the national route mm-hmm. so he's he and, and you know what let me tell you i don't know let me let me ask you this when you you said sabrina when you went to these um activist meetings okay um not trying to be ageist or anything but <laughs> is when you go to these things is it absent of youth energy no because i've been noticing oh, okay well then you're lucky because all the ones that i happen to pop up at it's absent of youth energy and they there is a pattern of of just you know i'm in a pattern of doing the same thing over and over again and i can't break out of it you see what well, i'm you saying like think about where i live i'm in you know the boston area in massachusetts and there's a lot of colleges in boston right but you're talking about a local thing i'm talking about like statewide because most of the things that i get on are usually like a statewide thing Oh, okay. Okay. So I when I go on mean. when I go on New York Progressive Action Network Zoom calls, it, you know, like yo, know, people there, you know, like I'm glad that they're there, but it's it's mostly like, you know, the, the you know, it's, it's 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 mostly people who are already on Medicare or social security, whatever the case is, you know, a 50 something year old the older people. What's that? You slinging shade to the elders. No, 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 I'm not. (laughs) I'm teasing with you. But (laughs) what I was saying is, depending upon what the issue is, 
If it is not on the interests or relevant to the age group, the youth people don't show up. There are a lot of youth who are involved in the marijuana legalization thing because that's one of their things. But mm-hmm. Medicaid, they're generally healthy. They're not thinking about it. And they're like, you know, true la 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 But here's the funny thing. When Sabrina said that youth activist energy is locally, municipally, if I go to like a, a Zoom that's kind of like uh, something about New York City, all the youth people are there. Like even right. even if they're talking about something like even if they're talking about something statewide, right? They like oh you know like invest in New York Act, which is a, a tax a series of tax the rich bills that they're trying to push. All of them are all located in in in, in four of the five boroughs in New York City. You know what I mean? But out north of the Bronx and east of Queens, you know, like there's like nobody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the younger the groups energy. are usually concentrated in the cities because yes. there's not much for them outside of that. Right, right. Right. And it's, you know, that's. Oh, and by the way, what you was talking about before when AOC was talking about, hey, I'm working for a $15 minimum wage for, for my own force to vote. Um, I forgot to point out the fact that the state that she's from already had a $15 minimum wage. So like, what are you talking about? (laughs) You know what I mean? You know, like downstate New York is already at $15 an hour. It's above the Bronx. They just went this couple of days ago because New Year's, they went from 1360 to 1460. Just keep going. We're almost at 15. You know what I mean? So that was what AOC was saying a couple of years ago is bullshit also. So, so you fight for something that your constituency already has. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? That's interesting to know. Um, Ashura, you just have to unmute to speak. So let's see if we can get um, Ashura in. And then um, I'll invite Ashura to speak because I think there may be an issue with the mute button. Uh, let me go ahead and bring in Dave, you are the next caller. You just have to unmute. Hello. Hello. Hey, good evening. Hello. Hi, Teddy. Hey, how are you doing, Dave? What's your take on all of this? Oh, my God. I, I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm, I'm a little loose. I got to say I'm a little. I'll try to be, speak as, you know, as well as I can here, but. I'm a little loopy right now because I was up at 5:45 this morning and I had a heavy work day. So, um, but on this, uh, I mean, on the Congress, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you're you're absolutely right on the strategy. What uh, what you said about force the vote, you know, absolutely right. The republic. I mean, you, you, I, I don't know. I don't know what to, where to start with exactly on it. Uh, it's, uh, we're, we're in a very, uh, we're in a very, we're in a period of massive, massive change and massive, uh, uprising probably. I think, I think the next thing that's going to happen is the layoffs when the market goes a little more sour, like February, March, April. I think, I think there's going to be wider spread layoffs. And I think that's when you'll see more people getting ready for, for like wider labor action in the United States, but. Yeah, so I could see that because they're calling for a recession this year, based on what I've read. Yeah, so even the, I mean, yeah the most powerful banks are. I, I don't want to. Um, 
you know, what in terms of political strategy, which you know, I know, you know, I've kind of thought about things like that a lot. Um, uh, I would say that, yeah, you're right about your know, federal government's not going to change in the next few years, but it's, it's going to get disrupted in ways we haven't seen since by certain things, not maybe not by protests, but by certain events like the dollar, the value of the dollar going down a lot uh, in relation to other currencies. You know, the U.S. military is way overextended right now. Like, I mean, basically, when when the money collapse of the pandemic hit the U.S. like harder about a year ago or so, they they started stepping to Russia and China. Uh, like, you know, that was, that's what they wanted to do. So, you know, the military is way overextended. They can't do what they used to be able to do. There's not not even close. In fact, you know, Europe and Central Asia – the U.S. military is seen largely as betrayers and people that cause lots of problems. And they've killed a lot of people in the Middle East. Like, I would say three to four million have been killed directly by U.S. force of arms, like since 2003, something like that. So you know, even the, the Burlington, Vermont city government put it at 1.2 million a year ago. And my brother handed that to me. And I said, I think that I said, I think that's low on the number of people killed. Um, like the Burlington, Vermont city government was like, they were telling the Vermont state government and the federal government, like, change your war policy because like 1.2 million people have been killed unnecessarily by U.S. force of arms. And most people, you know, like John Pilcher and others, Taibi and others, even Katie Halper would say, you know, as much as they've studied that, they'd say that we've killed a lot more, like our military than that. So the government's collapsing right now and we can, you know, it's still propped up because the money is still on the books. Like the those ledgers of the federal book still read those budgets still read with numbers on them. But uh, it's gonna this coming year and the next year you're gonna you, I think we're gonna see major. We're gonna see tumult like we haven't seen since. It's gonna be like 1969, 1970, 1971. Like not that I remember that. I don't remember that. Of course, I don't remember that because I'm only. I'm mid to late forties. That's what I say when I'm when I'm going out to date, to like date or mean people. I say, you know, I'm in my mid to late. I mean, before I get to know them, like, you know, at first, yeah, I'm think, in my mid to late forties, right? So, yeah, anyways. I think I think people need to be starting to like get ready for that because I yeah, I, I don't mean to, I'm not saying there's going to be civil war. I'm not saying there's going to be that there's going to be. Um, you know, I mean, look at the Republican judges that have been, look at the judges, the federal judges, the, like the character of the federal judges we have now. I mean, they're sentencing people to the sentencing. I mean, look at how heavy handed the prison, the, the, the courts and the prison system are to people, you know. Um, yeah, but at the same time, I think the Democrats yeah. also, you know, the Democrats are also responsible for that. It's not just the, it's not just the, uh, the, the Trump uh, federal judges appointees and stuff like that. But yeah. right. No, um, I totally hear you. I mean, I really do think people need to get prepared like for this year, because based on the economic reports I've been reading, they, most people are saying to prepare for a recession. Um, yeah, even the largest bankers, like the head of Goldman Sachs predicted the stock market 20% down from January 1st to this like, 2023 to January 1st, 2024. That, that's what the heads of the largest banks are saying. They're saying like, hopefully only 20% down this year, the whole, like over the year, the stock market goes down 
wholly completely like the Wall Street stock market goes down twenty percent. I would predict more than that. Like I, me, and an organizer, Dave, you know, whatever. I would predict a heavier stock market loss in, in U.S. markets this year. So right, yeah, right. Um, I haven't had a chance to look at Professor Wolf um, this past week, but I'll go check his channel sometime this weekend because I think he was going to say something about this as well, um, about the current state of the economy. And we're actually yeah, really hear that. this year. So I, I haven't. Um, actually, I don't think I've done one of his things in like two weeks. Oh, wow. I'm slacking. I usually do one a week. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I like I, I love Professor Wolf. Like, like he was a, he was, you know, that guy is he's brilliant and he was. He was out there, in, you know, in he was out there in the in the sticks and Amherst for like years and years, like teaching, you know, political economy and and like you know getting him and he's just that guy's you know he's a great he's a great especially where where like formal markets like capital cell markets intersect with political movements like he's he's very good at breaking that that shit down so yeah. Yeah. Well said, Dave. Well, Dave, thank you so much um, for calling in. I want to go. Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to try to stay on longer. I, uh, I'm really tired. Uh, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Sabby. Thank you so much. Okay. We're going to bring in uh, Ronwell. Ronwell, how are you? You just have to unmute. Here you go. Oh, <laughs> hello, Sabs. <laughs> hello. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I'm glad I didn't do about this one. Uh, I'm ready to have my um take on this um Kevin McCarthy's false stuff. You know what I mean? Go for it. So um, if I had to be honest, I was disappointed in my favorite current Republican named Thomas Massey for voting for Kevin um, McCarthy as speaker because. McCarty was a partisan Republican, and Thomas Massey well, was my favorite Republican in the House right now due to his peace foreign policy views. I hope he explains his fault. Here's my take on all this. I think Thomas Massey should nominate Justin Amash as Speaker of the House if he wants to break, uh, help break the duopoly, not Kevin McCarty. Jocelyn Marsh is right about Kevin McCarthy, who is unprincipled and stuff. I know I'm a libertarian, but hear me out. I know that Jocelyn Marsh and Thomas Massey were friends back in the Congress days. Since I saw the photo of Thomas Massey and Jocelyn Marsh and their six together on Twitter, and currently, uh, Thomas Massey is the only Republican left in Congress when he like Kearney. I met Johnson Amash last October. I think I think he'll be a great speaker. If Johnson Amash was the speaker of the house, what if Johnson Amash's speaker could bring Medicare for all for the vote? There, there should be a hashtag that is on him Twitter right now called Johnson Amash for speaker. And there are tweets that are supporting Johnson Amash for speaker. And I was one of those people supporting Amash as speaker. Yeah. Really quick. I'm confused. I thought Justin Amash stepped down. No. Uh, I mean, uh, I mean, no. You don't have to be a member, um, um, like elected of, um, um, House of Representative. Um, I, I mean, 
uh, I mean, uh, he isn't there anymore. But that this, that there's nothing says that um, anyone elected in a Congress um, to to be elected doesn't. Uh, uh, that means Johnston and Marsh is eligible to be um, speaker of the house. So that means Congress can make so Sabrina Savati the speaker of the house. Just said there's nothing, there's no rule apparently that you have to be elected to be speaker of the house. Go ahead, Roger, and I'll go back to you, Ronwell. No, I just said therefore makes uh, Sabrina Salvati the speaker. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get case case. Did you know that that you don't have to be elected to be speaker of the house technically? Yes, you don't have to be an elected member of Congress to be the Speaker of the House. Okay. Yeah, it'd be, so it'd be how it is in the Constitution and, and the way it's written up in the Constitution. There's no there's no requirement like that. So, yeah, and, and technically it could be anybody, but it always is traditionally a, a current serving member. But the other thing I'd say is, is the, the idea that that any duopoly politician is going to get anything good for the 99% is fantasy. Well, I think that's what she was saying is that Justin Amash is independent. Isn't that right, Ron? Well, didn't Justin Amash, yeah. wait, wasn't he a Republican and he stepped yep. down or something? He changed to independent under Trump? Yep, that's it. Okay. I still can't see it, but okay. That's interesting. I I've forgotten about him. Uh, um, uh, yeah, um, um, there are tweets right now that are supporting Justin Amash for speaker, and I was one of those people supporting Amash as speaker against Kim McCarr and the Democrats. I called my representative to nominate Justin Amash as speaker um, earlier, before I went to work, of course. And I hope your supporters can join me in that hashtag, and hopefully um, Amash can finally um bring um medicare for all for the fall that's that's what i have to say okay thank you so much ronwell i'm gonna go ahead and bring in uh davis and then i'll pivot back to brent what's going on davis you just have to unmute okay while we wait for davis uh brent you just have to unmute hello Hello. Hi. Um, so regarding Kevin McCarthy and the force of vote, um, yeah, I find it really weird that the Democrats couldn't do it. I mean, well, I know why, because um, basically AOC, she sold out because um, I don't know if you talked about it earlier, but she's all about wearing the nice dresses at the Met Gala and the salary. And she used her the bartending thing. Because she she knew that the people were stupid. They 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 believe that if someone's a bartender, they can relate to the working class. But that's I feel that's not true because whether you're rich or poor, not determine um, who you are as a person. Not not always, at least. And um, people fell for the uh, her her um, advertising, and um, she speaks very well. I noticed, like, I, I went to her rally in Venice while she was campaigning for Bernie Sanders, and I was very skeptical about her because she talked really well, just like Obama. 
but I held judgment. I said, oh, maybe this girl will will be a force for change. I'll give her a chance, even though Obama was an empty suit, even though he spoke better than her. And unfortunately, I was wrong. And um, I feel like um, this there's a trend of people calling for eloquent speaking. And um, I know this is going to be unpopular on here, but I feel like would I express a certain viewpoint? It, I basically said what Noel was saying, except Noel said it much better than I did. But I got criticism for what I said, but Noel did not. And I feel, but to be clear, what Noel said about the war in Russia is absolutely spot on with in, in terms of the corruption with the United States and Ukraine. But um, people, they fall for the eloquent speaking. And I, I, I'm, I'm guilty of this too. Like when I listen to like, when I went to go to these rallies, I get sucked into the, the good speech that I forget about what they're actually saying. And um, yeah, I just wanted to throw out throw that out there. So, Well, I think Obama was probably the speaking king, right? Like he oh, was- yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was something he was really good at. Like, I'll, I'll give him that. Like, he was a great speaker. Just didn't really translate into action so much. <laughs> so I think um, that is something that I do hear a lot from people is that so-and-so speaks so eloquently. They speak so oh. well. Actually, Joe Biden said that about Obama. He was like, he speaks so well. They said the same no. thing about Colin Powell. You know, it's, so it's like... <laughs> People will get caught up in that. And when you're focused on what they're talking about or you're focused on their speech, sometimes you're not focused on their actions. Like, okay, they they gave the speech about what we should do, but are they actually doing it? Sabrina. Hmm? You, you, you have to watch Larry Sharp's takedown of Governor Hochul on his show. The other day when she was giving her um her not was it normal state no it wasn't state of the state i guess it oh was she was she was sworn in yesterday that's what that was yes okay yesterday and that dude is funny as hell the way he gives commentary and because what was happening was i mean please people you have to watch it it's funny as hell it's like two hours but he was he picked apart every single thing she was saying about identity politics and all that stuff. And what I was looking at, I was saying to myself, Obama uh, is a is a um, symbol to these Democrats because I was like, oh, she's trying to be Obama. Mm-hmm. She's trying to she's trying to get her Obama on. And 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 Larry was just taking it apart, just. You know how you peel an onion just piece by piece? And I just like that whole, that's, that's yeah, that's why I missed you on um, Glenn Greenwald because I was watching, I was watching that. And I was just, I was just sitting there just laughing my ass off. It, I mean, it was just the funniest thing. Because, you know, he has that, he has that kind of like comedic type of persona. Like he said, you guys are going to, it was like, what happens if you guys take the money? You're going to become rising. <laughs> <laughs> I was laughing my ass off when he was interviewing you and RBN. It was it, just just the way he was just like doing it or whatever the case is. But Roger, if you have time, I don't know if you're driving. Can you put the link 
to that interview with Larry Sharp in the um in the chat. Yeah, I'm doing. Yeah, no problem. The um, no, I'm, I'm getting the, my strike on. The so one I'm, I for the one with us, RBN and Larry Sharp, and the one with um Kathy Hochul. Because you guys got to understand, like I don't know if everyone um that's listening is familiar with Larry Sharp, but he ran for governor of New York as a libertarian. And uh, he came onto my show before, like he is very real. And so, so like, he's, he's real and he talks really fast. So I could just imagine like Larry, like pulling apart Kathy Hocho, but like, yeah, those of us at RBN, all of us, I think all of us went except CJ, CJ couldn't make it, but so it was me, Nick, JB, and um, Rome. Rome came on too, on to Larry Sharp's show. No, he was- Guys, let me tell you something. If you want to laugh, go watch that interview. Go watch that interview. Because Rome don't usually come on interviews with us, but he did this time. And I hope we did not scare, I hope we didn't scare Larry's audience. <laughs> No, the the funniest part was when you left and a couple people left and Rome kept talking and, and Sharp was listening to him. He said, okay, you're too high now. We got to go. Bye. Because <laughs> he just kept going on and on and on. His eyes were all like strained and whatnot. And he, he just was like, he didn't know what the hell Rome was talking about. He said, okay, you're too high. Time to end the show. <laughs> <laughs> It was funny, you guys, I'm telling you. But no, we had serious conversations. It was a, a great discussion. Um, and we found out that we agree on more than we thought we would. Public banking worker co-ops, and he wants to push New York to be a ballot initiative state. That's all I had to hear. He might not be for the New York Health Act. I'll let that slide. You want to get make us a ballot initiative state and push a, an initiative to force the legislature to, to roll on it? I'll pass New York Health Act myself. Ourself. He's against the wars too. That's another big one. He's against the wars. Okay, Davis, you have to unmute if you are still with us. Um, and if not, it could be an app issue. I'll invite you to speak. And I'm going to go ahead and bring on Anita. Anita, you just have to unmute. Could be issues with the app. Oh, there it is. Hello. Hello. Uh-oh. Oh, Anita, we can't hear you. Um, You're unmuted, but I don't hear anything. I think this may have happened before. I'm going to invite you as a speaker, Anita, because sometimes that fixes the problem, I think. Yeah, because you are definitely unmuted, but I can't I can't hear anything. So I invited you to speak, and then I'm going to bring in uh, Gator. Gator, you're the next caller. Hi, Sabrina. Hi, everybody. Greetings. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Um, I don't want to make this sound personal, but because he was a pretty vocal guy, he's a, I'll, I'll, I'll just say that CR, I understand his sentiment, but he sounds to me like a guy who is kind of politically naive and basically the source of his anger is his own cognitive dissonance about how how politics works, right? Now, I don't mean that in a, in a rude way. What I, what I mean is that 
I actually have basically come to view the business of government as literal business, and I view it always through that lens. And on that basis, I am never disappointed by the outcomes that I see politically in my country or yours, <clears throat> or any that I care to look at, because if you view the world like that, then you radically shift into an understanding that business requires or prefers stable rule sets that it help to create, can control and can predict. And that is essentially what um, the legislation of a nation is. If you look at trying to do, you know, as, as Western companies move throughout the world, they've always tried to establish a basis of stability and predictability by using their leverage to establish a rule set that, that, that suits them. And if you look at the uh, trade deals like NAFTA, <clears throat> the, the proposed TTIP and all of this, when you get into the detail of it, some of the stuff in there is insane that has nothing to do with the benefit of citizens and everything to do with the benefit of purely corporations, even against every single nation state in the world. Uh, something to, for people to look at is something called ISDS. I won't bother explaining it, but once you once you see this, then um, the idea that you live in a not a democracy, but a corporatocracy is heavily compounded. Now, CR is describing and talking about politics as if like, for example, you know, the medical system, people people should just get single payer or whatever it is he's, he's after because it's the right thing. But if you go and sit and talk to an experienced incumbent politician in your country, do you think that, that if you could, if they would say the quiet part out loud, they would agree that doing Medicare or whatever that medical system is, is, is the right thing and that's enough of a reason to pursue it as a political outcome for them and their career? The answer will be in 99% of the instances, absolutely not, because they will be saying, no, 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 no. Um, my job is to maintain my position of power for whatever reason I've selected it. And I do that by acquiring money from businesses because I return on that investment from those businesses. And my way of returning is to ensure that I maintain a stable status quo set of rules that they like, that they can understand and business plan for over the next five or 10 years and profit from. Now, if we, if we, if I move that example into um, this speaker situation, now I don't understand everything here <clears throat> at all because it's not my system, but I, I, as an observer, and, and please tell me if this is not a fair way of simply, simply viewing it. This guy, McCarthy, is being peddled by the press and, and other people in the House as being a shoe-in for the job, right? He's been trained. Except if, if you don't have to be a sitting politician to take the speaker's job, what exactly are the qualifications for being a speaker? There were probably zero. But in the minds of all of the people on the floor, they clearly understand that the speaker job is probably a, a long-term reward for doing political deals for people and building allies throughout the time you spent in the Senate or the Congress or wherever. And so eventually you become the shoo-in. That's kind of what my suspicion would be. But then also the, the fact that, this, that the, the speaker is now cutting deals Right, in order to get his ass on that seat means that he sounds to me like he has disproportionate amounts of power in that seat. Now, the question is why, why, and you ask this in the room, is why, 
why are why didn't the why are the Democrats sorry why are the Republicans playing this game now and the Democrats could have done this years ago and they never did? I would possibly I would suggest that it's because the Democrats' view of the world or the business of government was satisfactory. They they were living and running and operating in a comfortable, understood, predictable set of business rules that was returning money to the people and the interests that they wanted and served, including themselves. And therefore, they did not need to radically change the rule set. So they didn't exploit a mechanism like is being exploited now. But now the Republican side of, of affairs is sufficiently frustrated by the nature of the power, power distribution and their ability to set rules quickly that they want to see. Plus, there'll be other things like, you know, factional infighting and there'll be um, the, the reactionary position on war spending and other things that they want to allocate to different business interests that they have. And so they have been creative enough to say, you know what, now's the time to use this tool and exploit that to get to hold this man's position to ransom or take him hostage and get some quick wins because and that is that is all business business negotiating tactics now is what i'm saying a fair fair observation as an outsider of your system or have i gone very wrong there well i think you pretty you pretty much got it down it's it's like um the thing with with kevin mccarthy is that originally there were a couple of asks for concessions but it seems like as time has gone on, in, in case, case, feel free to jump in here and let me know what you think. It seems like as uh, the days have gone by this week, that more have con more concessions have been added as we've gone on. That's what it seems mm -hmm. like. <laughs> but I, I yeah. think what I um, go ahead, been going on, they just kept adding on and people are calling it irrational. I, I call it just getting concessions, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what. <laughs> so, yeah, they have been adding on more things. Um so there have been 20 I have to check again because like I said, I reported on this um about 3 hours ago. <laughs> but um I'll have to check again, but it appears that there were like 20 people, 20 Republicans that did not want to vote for Kevin McCarthy. So they mm -hmm. voted for Representative Donald, right? And then as as the rounds went on, because this guy, so you have to understand that like this has gone on for ten rounds. Yeah. So each round he's been voted against. Like he's he still hasn't won. And so um those twenty individuals do not feel that he will be an effective leader. And here's the thing, and this is something I want people to ask too, if we think about this question. If it's true that Kevin McCarthy will not be an effective leader, and let's say they're able to convince some of those other Republicans to come on over to the Kevin McCarthy side just to end this, uh, just for the sake of time. What does that mean if Kevin McCarthy becomes speaker in reference to legislation? Those people who are against him right now, they're not going to pass his bills. They can hold things up. Do you, you guys see what I'm saying? I just thought about that. Like they can choose not to vote 
to pass certain legislation that he approves just to piss him off. You're right. Um, but if I can digress back to Gator just for a second, your theory and philosophy on how that system is working that parallels a business entity is more right than not. And in this case, the deals that Kevin McCarthy has made through the years, and especially the last couple of years, um, as the minority leader to cultivate that quorum of people who would support him because Donald Trump was such a polarizing figure. And when Donald Trump got into that trouble, when he was trying to hold on to the presidency, some of the 20 members who are not supporting him now felt that it was a type of betrayal. So I would categorize the 20 who are holding out um, against his um, ascension to the be the speaker of the house they would I would construe them as a far right caucus in the Republican group. And so there are a lot of the um, election deniers and all of this type of things. But in terms of your understanding of the process that people are leveraging power and that um, ordinarily the person would have made the right deals and stuff coming into this moment, like Nancy Pelosi did. And, and really what happened was Nancy Pelosi was able to strong arm the people before they got to this voting stage. But because the basis of their power on the Democrat side is different from their base of power on the Republican side, the Republicans have more leverage in that party to speak mm -hmm. freely and do this type of thing. But on the Democrat side, they don't. And it is all tied to the money, how they get money, and how um, homogenous their districts are. So mm. if in the Republican side, those um, districts of the 20 people are really fairly homogenous, so they don't have to worry about a party retaliation because they're on Trump's side and Trump still has a very firm grip on a certain amount of the rank and file, so they feel comfortable challenging the party. But on the Democrat side, that's not the same thing. And so the people, the squad that we would have wanted to challenge um, Nancy Pelosi or at least try and extract some concessions, they didn't have that same security within their districts. And the Democrat Party has shown itself capable of wielding power and getting people primaried so that they don't make it back to Congress if they don't follow the rank and file, um, the chapter line and verse. But on the Republican side, it's the same overarching objective, but the dynamics of how it works is a little bit different. But you understand in terms of your paralleling it to um, a corporate entity trying to operate on the best interests of the corporate entity, that is on the same side of the Democrats or the Republicans. They're all acting on a corporate interest. But now it's just this big thing about on the Republican side, who will actually be the speaker. And to Savvy's point, um, the dissension that is plaguing um, McCarthy now, even if he gets elected, it will still plague him um, in terms of leading as the Speaker of the House, 
Um, and just like we had Speaker of the House Boehner, who eventually stepped down because he couldn't control his caucus. And so the same thing would ostensibly be happening with McCarthy. And some of the concessions that those 20 are extracting or attempting to extract have to do with being making it easier for them to challenge him and challenge his authority and challenge his speakership. And so those are some of the things they're extracting um, or those are the things they're trying to negotiate so that they can get rid of him if they want to anyway with more ease than they currently can. So, but but your overall understanding is... Thanks, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to go through that. One, one of the things that, and then that I would sort of throw out there in terms of kind of a lot of the political discourse that I hear on calling, and I actually do appreciate particularly uh, Sabrina's willingness to run long shows and give speakers a lot of room I'm, I'm find that remarkable it doesn't you're unusual in the rest of the other the other the other shows for, for the amount of time i think you and brian do a, a, a lot of uh, good work here um but it's this notion that uh, of how people the, at the lowest level view what they think is democracy because i mean cr kind of sums this up he's going around getting frustrated saying I just want to be able to believe that democracy and my vote exist and my vote is my voice. But if I was an incumbent politician, I would be laughing at that and I would be rubbing my hands together going, great, I'm so glad that he exists and there are more of him because he doesn't understand what political power is. There is no democracy. Like you'd have to, if you take an average Joe's definition of democracy and then map that to the UK or, 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 or America, it definitely doesn't exist. And one theatrical way I would sort of describe the vote is that all your vote is, is a four or five year ticket to a government selected ballet and you or show at the theatre. You don't even get to choose what the show is. What happens is essentially whatever the show is, let's say it's the Nutcracker the two main stars are selected faces that are picked and pushed in front of you. And instead of watching the ballet, actually all you get to see is two, these two picked faces take a dump on the stage. And then all of you can basically choose which turd you prefer. Right. And then that gets smeared all over the stage and that's that. And then you'll go off again. That's literally all the vote technically is right in Britain for all of the, all of the political trajectory change that results, that's all the vote is. Now, the weird thing for me in America is that your popular vote for the presidency doesn't even actually matter because it's the electoral college which puts him into office. And the two things seem to be disconnected from what I can tell talking to people about that. Now, under those circumstances, why would anyone who, who, who if, if I understand that fairly, why would anyone believe that their vote is their voice, particularly at the presidential level? Because the only way that it could be is for you to be able over your lifetime to track that effectively enough votes for the things that you wanted as a citizen went, came in and you eventually got one of the things you wanted as a citizen in, in, in any given vote window. I reckon most people can't say that because government doesn't deliver um, for the citizen, it main, it manages and contains the citizen and delivers for its business interests. And, and so I'll just finish on this. 
why I'm saying all of this is because I believe that for people like yourselves who are taking the time to try to educate people, foster levels of a discourse, understanding, and maybe drive towards action, you're in asymmetric warfare and people don't seem to get that. They don't think in warfare terms. I would argue that if you accept that you are in the 99% doesn't exist because the 99% is fractured. It's not a meaningful community. It's, it's so many more pockets of tiny numbers of people who are poorly educated in a lot of ways and very disorganized. That means it's asymmetric warfare. It would only be majority warfare if the 99% were coalesced. If you work on that principle, you can basically take the right tactics, which are to do things that are disproportionately effective. Now, I'm going to suggest something. Take it or leave it. Don't debate it. Move on if you don't like this. But what people don't realize is this. They have a, they have a voting ticket, which is so much more powerful than their ballot slip. It's called their cash card. Imagine if a significant number of individuals went to their local bank and they, they set up circumstances which didn't, which I could go into detail in, but won't now. And they went to their bank and they literally, in the space of two days, took out all of the cash that they had in their account and just put it into a different competing bank account, but they took it as cash. They would trigger a bank run on that institution, right? And they wouldn't suffer as a result of it because the FDIC insurance would essentially mean that their cash reserves that they didn't get out or the cash reserves of other people in that bank didn't get knackered on a retail basis. That bank would start to have a major problem, right? And then, and then you go, shit, the government would go, holy shit, a load of people just did something, right? And they, they're waking up. And then the next week, what happens? Another bunch of people go to a different bank and execute the same maneuver on another bank, right? That's power. That's power that the common person does not understand, right? And, they, and, and, and that's an asymmetric technique. And that's just one example. But what you need is war fighters who think asymmetrically and come up with meaningful tactics and meaningful strategies that can, that can be executed by relatively small numbers of people to get disproportionate outcomes and then attach to that political demands in some form. And I think that personally, I think, Unfortunately, that we're far from that, but the, but people could could be capable of achieving stuff in these ways. Well, I will say a couple of things, and then I want to um, pivot to Davis and Anita and Nashur as well, give them a chance to speak. But I will say, uh, number one, uh, yes, uh, the popular vote in our country, unfortunately, doesn't mean much. We've seen elections affected by that. Uh, 2016, Hillary and Donald Trump, Hillary won the popular vote, although him, Hillary is <laughs> just as much a corporate warmonger candidate as the previous uh, Democrats that we've had. Um, same thing happened in uh, 2000 with uh, Al Gore and George W. Bush. Similar situation, Al Gore won the popular vote, although there's a lot to be said about that election because people will say that at the end of the day, uh, Al Gore actually did win Florida when they finished up that count. That's that's a whole other situation. I want to get into all that tonight. But um, yeah, it doesn't mean much here because of the Electoral College. Uh, it sounds like in the UK, you guys have a different process. But I've also noticed in the UK, too, it seems like you guys can remove your prime minister a lot easy, uh, easily than we can remove a president in the United States. So for us, 
if someone becomes president, they're there for four years. Whereas I've seen prime ministers uh, vacate their position in the UK within like three years. Like you guys had uh, Boris Johnson and then I forget the woman's name. I'm so sorry, but she was there maybe not even a year. This was recently um, how they can just be removed uh, so much easy, easily than they can in the United States. So that's another big problem. Once someone is in here, they're in at least for those four years. Um, unless they pull a Nixon, <laughs> like a Watergate scandal, so to speak. And so there's, there's those issues as well. Um, and I, I hear what you're saying in reference to getting like a coalition together and things like that. You know, I, I feel like we had that with the Bernie movement and then the problem was the leader just walked away from the movement and then we didn't have a movement anymore. So this is why I tell people that the people leading these movements, the issues that they are bringing forth to the people, they need to actually be affected by those issues. And Bernie Sanders can easily walk away because he wasn't really affected at the end of the day. And that's happened multiple times. Same thing with, with Barack Obama. He can abandon um codifying Roe v. Wade into law because again at the end of the day he wasn't directly affected and so we've seen this time and time again in our country and that's why I say like the leaders for these types of movements should not be done through a political movement because once they're in once they're in DC they're there and we have no access to them even if you you canvass for them once they're there they're gone and you just can't get in touch with them anymore or you can get in touch with them, but they don't want to be bothered if you're not in that DC bubble. So that's a big part of the problem, I think. Um, and thanks for the shout out for the, the call-in uh, show. Like I, I've actually never done a short call-in show. Like even when I first started and I was doing it, uh, a simulcast where I was actually on YouTube and here at the same time, I've never done a short one because from my experience, I feel like you don't really develop, I don't know. I don't want to say significant. Like, you don't develop a good dialogue if you do like the short shows. I know some people do, but it would be like me doing a YouTube live stream for 15 minutes. Like most people aren't going to make it within those first 15 minutes. So it's like, um, yeah, I feel like you just don't develop a good uh, dialogue as well. Um, Davis, you have to unmute. I want to make sure I bring you in as well. You just have to hit the unmute button. But um, go ahead, Roger, while we wait for Davis. Yeah, well, unless you call a 90-minute call-in show short, because you did do one one time. That's, that's like the shortest one. But um, yeah. well, Some people only do 30 minutes, though. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, they do. Hi, Davis. I can hear you. Hi. Go ahead. Okay, cool. Uh, I I just wanted to uh, thanks thanks for call, for having this call, and I've I've been dying to you know to voice my opinion on this. I I don't understand why uh, I was listening to Anna Kasparian today, not intentionally, <laughs> um, and she was talking about. I mean, the the main premise of their critique of folks that support forced the vote is that, you know, the vote was going to fail, right? And I'm like, 
have these people ever had of principles? You know what I'm saying? Um, you can you can act on principle. In fact, the 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 very word principle, you know, the idea of it is that it's not based on results, right? It's based on something that you feel strongly about. And I'm just thinking about how, imagine an alternative scenario where AOC and the squad, and by the way, I saw the Grand Greenwald interview with AOC where she unequivocally said, I'm not going to vote for Pelosi because it's dumb to vote for a leader that has been there for several generations. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, when she, you know, once she, she, she was uh, voted in, after I think Pelosi like took her out and wined and dined her, and then she turned into, you know, Mama Bear Pelosi, right? And I was thinking, imagine if AOC and the squad had, you know, been voted in and said, you know, and they met with Pelosi and said, listen, you know, we have a list of demands, and if you, if you don't give us these things, we're not going to vote for you. Uh, we want you to put these items on the floor for, for a vote. We want you to put Medicare for all for a vote. Uh, we want you to put uh, uh, qualified immunity, the repeal of qualified immunity, put that, you know, on the floor. Uh, we want you to put a public bank for every state on the floor. Uh, we want you to put free community college, you know, uh, on, on, on the, uh, to, for a vote. And, and, and if you don't do that, we're not going to vote for you. You know what I'm yes. saying? Imagine if they did that, because these are some of the core ideas that their constituents care about. You know, qualified immunity would address the fact that police don't get to pay for their uh, many crimes out of pocket because of qualified immunity. And if you're going to make statements like Cory Bush tweeting about white supremacy, this and that, I'm like, okay, you're tweeting about white supremacy, you know, force the vote on qualified immunity, right? Um, what, what, I mean, same thing for Medicare for All. And the thing, uh, and Anna Kasparian's critique was it was going to fail, and I'm like, okay, imagine if they did that, because then we would have people on record as having voted for or against this thing. And imagine if we had Democrats on record voting against or for Medicare for All uh, at the time that AOC, you know, won her election. And then two years later, we're in the middle of a pandemic, uh, right before, you know, the next midterm election. And imagine a left challenger saying, you know, uh, don't vote for this person. She didn't vote for Medicare for all. You know, we have the record of her when, when, the, when the squad, you know, forced a vote on these issues that she claims to care about or he came, claims to care about. Uh, they voted no or present. So I, the left challenger for this candidate, I'm going to vote yes for Medicare for all. I'm going to vote yes for qualified immunity. I'm going to vote yes for public banks and free community college, right? So a left challenger would have been able to, you know, challenge AOC and, and her, you know, fraud squad, and, and she would have had to answer for that. Or anyone that voted against those, those items or voted present would have had to answer for that, right? And then the, the candidate that is the left challenger, presumably, if those items were presented on the floor again, they would have had to vote for them because they literally challenged, you know, uh, they, they, they primaried uh, AOC and Cory Bush and Jamal Bowman on the fact of the record of them not voting for these policies or voting present. 
and once you vote, you you can't turn you know you can't turn your back on your vote because you voted. So your vote is the, the clearest indication of, of your uh, pro- policy priorities. So imagine that alternative scenario, because to me, politics is about resource you know allocation. I mean, it's not intellectual for me. Politics is about you know dividing resources for the people. You you come together as a group of some kind you could be a county or a state or a country you know and decide that you know we have decided that we're gonna create this representative body and it's called government i guess if you want to call it that but we're gonna create this body because we need to manage ourselves we are a people we have decided we're gonna be a country and we are going to create uh, uh, an arm of you know an arm of, of government that is going to govern us and we're going to decide what to do with the resources, who gets what. We're going to implement a security state because human beings are unpredictable and imperfect and people are going to do crime. So we need to figure out how to manage that. We're going to create, you know, some sort of economic system of, of, of barter, of trade, or, or, or an economic system of exchanging goods and services. That's what government is. It's not an intellectual exercise. It's actually about literal material improvement in the conditions of the people that you voted for. So if you then go, you know, once you get into power and you vote against those policies or you shy away from pushing for them, then that tells me everything I need to know, right? And so this is specifically for those people who say that, you know, people like Anna Kasparian who say that the vote would have failed. Yeah, however, if you have any ability to think forward, you would see that, you know, first the vote was a tactic, right? Because it made people put their names on policies like you got to put your name on a vote so that we can judge you on that and they clearly didn't want that to happen yeah go ahead and anna knew all that she was just lying (laughs) yeah i mean i was so infuriated by her i was like are you serious like she was at, and the way the thing about Anna is that she is so smugly condescending. I mean, she came for you know uh, for Brianna Joy Gray talking about how Bree needs to you know add YouTube uh, subscriptions. I'm like, really? Like Bree is successful, okay? Shut up. She doesn't need to do anything to get subscriptions. I mean, she mm-hmm. just, she's like a, a big presence in in in, uh, in moderate left media. She's not as left as RBN, I don't think. But she's still a huge... I mean, if you, if you look at her call-in shows, they're like, you are savvy. They have like 500 callers or whatever, you know? Um, so she doesn't need to pander to anybody for, for views or, or whatever. So I, I found that particularly uh, disgusting from Anna. Because yeah, the thing is, like, why can't you... Uh, what, what, what is so difficult to understand about a tactical approach to dealing with power? Like, do you not understand what leverage is? If you look at Kevin McCarthy right now, they those 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 Freedom Caucus you know fellows are really terrorizing that poor guy, and I'm enjoying the the, the hell out of it. I did. I read that list of demands, and they're not that terrible. I mean, they're mostly procedural, you know. And of course, I'm not a conservative Republican, so some of the policy prescriptions I don't agree with, but they're not that terrible. They're not. And I was David. like, okay. Yeah, go ahead. Let me let me ask you a question. Sure. How much how much you want to bet McCarthy is in a corner shaking somewhere on the phone with Boehner? <laughs> well, 
Well, John Boehner was voted out by, you know, by the same procedures that these Republicans want to resurrect. So Right. I but mean, but here, here's the thing. Did, yeah. did you did you catch that um I know some of y'all did. Um and Sabi, I, I don't know about I don't know if you know this, but did you catch that um episode of Hard Lens Media when I sent to Kit just how um how much of gladiators Republicans are and what they and what one of them did to John Boehner. Yes, I saw that. I remember that. <laughs> I usually don't get to watch Hardlands Media live, but I usually catch them on replay. Okay. Um, because um, one of the things I was going to say as well is that, yeah, to Roger's point, Anna knew all of those things. And in the beginning, all of them were on board for Force the Vote. But like Bree said, later on, a call went out that told people not to do it because it wasn't going to pass and it wouldn't be a good idea. And some right. people backed away and some people stayed with it. Most people stayed with it. TYT pulled away and so did Majority Report. But I, I, meant, the, I meant the physical threat that they did to Boehner. Physical? Like threatening yeah. and physical? Yeah. So oh, I wasn't aware of that. Don, um, so Representative Don Young of Alaska once pinned former Speaker John Boehner against a wall and held a 10 inch knife to his throat during a heated wow. debate about earmarks. Boehner told Political about the incident in a new profile published Sunday. The former Speaker described his difficulties in banning earmarks. So measure so uh, or measures that funded projects in lawmakers' home districts. Boehner said that Young once pinned him against a wall in the House during an argument over earmarks, and Young held a ten-inch knife to Boehner's throat. Boehner responded by staring Young in the face and said, "Fuck you." Young confirmed the account as mostly true to Politico, but pointed out that he and Boehner later became such good friends that Boehner was the best man at his wedding. This isn't the first time Young has been reported at brandishing a knife in the House. He reportedly pulled out a knife on the House floor in 1988 when a lawmaker introduced a bill that would have restricted logging in Alaska. So (laughs) (laughs) these motherfuckers don't fucking play. These Republicans are fucking gladiators. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know if I would advocate uh, necessarily, you know, AOC choking out Pelosi. <laughs> I don't know if I would advocate that, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I really, the principle of that is, is gangsterism. And like, listen, you know, we are going to do whatever it takes to get what we want for our constituents, you know? And and again, I don't agree with the, with their whole policy prescriptions, but I really like how they play politics. Those guys understand that you know how to play power politics. And liberals, I just don't understand the entire strategy, honestly. I, I mean, the more I I, I listen to um to to the political discourse, I'm convinced, honestly. I mean, there was a time when listening to this idea that Democrats and Republicans are the same, I was kind of warming to it. But it didn't really kind of, it wasn't convincing to me, really. You know what I'm saying? It just wasn't convincing to me because, I mean, like, George Bush is very different from Barack Obama. And Barack Obama is very different from, you know, from from Donald Trump. 
And Donald Trump is very different from Joe Biden. Now, having gone deeper into the whole, you know, what Julius Nyerere said about America, that Americans are dramatic, and so they have, like, two parties representing the same ideas instead of just one, it took a while for that to sink in. But now, looking at the Democrats uh, and liberals' general political strategy, or lack thereof, I'm inclined to think that, you know what I'm saying, like, these people maybe just don't believe in what they say they do. They just don't believe it. And, and I'm like, why does it not make sense that, you know, you would apply pressure on leadership, especially since you are quoted on an interview talking about how it's stupid to have the same Speaker of the House as the leader, you know, for multiple generations, right? And Pelosi is not someone who understands, you know, working class issues and and and, uh, and AOC was very articulate in her critique of Pelosi so I just don't understand how she went from that to mama bear right or or Cory Bush well, you know she was lying the, 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 well, the, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you what Cynthia McKinney said they were uh -huh. spoken to wow they were spoken to this and is told why, what you know what were they, they threatened that's part of it. Like, I'm, I'm with gonna what, to, I'm gonna try to see. I'm gonna try to see if I can get Dennis Kucinich on because I'm pretty sure. Dave, Davis, can I just throw something has, in? I'm pretty sure he probably has some stories to tell too. But this is how it works, Davis. Like, yeah, I mean, given, I'm, they're I, given they're given a talking to or they're threatened. You know, this whole thing that happened with Nina Turner. Mm -hmm. Remember, Nina Turner came forward and said that she spoke to members of the squad. And some of them said that they were threatened. Now, let me ask you guys a question. Notice how they were told not to endorse Nina Turner, that they had to endorse the incumbent, which was Chantel Brown, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. That's some standard rule or whatever. But why is it that it was okay for AOC to endorse Nina Turner, even though she did it last minute in the final hour when it didn't matter much? Why was she given the okay to endorse her, but the other ones mm -hmm. were not? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, it was a fake endorsement. Mean, I, I, that that I, late, you know? it, it was a fake endorsement. I, just, I mean, it was performative. Right, but, that's, right, but that still doesn't explain why she was given the okay and the other squad members were not, though. I mean, it, it's theater. It's roles. I mean, in, in the end, they all work for the same interests. And, and yeah, some of them are allowed to do a little more or a little less, but if they really do anything that seriously threatens power... You know, they get pushed out like Cynthia McKinney was. And it doesn't even have to be a physical threat or, or the violence or anything. I mean, it's a sweet, you know, cushy gig if you if you play ball. And if you don't, you're pushed out. And it doesn't have to be secret or conspiracy. They do it right out in the open, like they say, and, and that's the game. Yeah, I mean, isn't, isn't Bernie Sanders two things? I mean, I said this to Sabrina before on a, another show, but... There's a, the, you can easily find a take on Bernie Sanders that says that essentially he is known in political circles to only diverge from party vote 2% of the time, which is nothing, right? Which doesn't make him a radical. It makes him a conventionalist by anyone's measure. So everything that was attached to Bernie Sanders as marketing was literally deceptive marketing because I think that his role, like AOC, is to be allowed to exist in order for the significantly left sympathy voters 
of America to attach their vote to Bernie or AOC, and then for them to get as far through the primaries or whatever stage of voting they're allowed to get to, and then to back off. And so that leaves those left-leaning votes out in the system that needs to be reattached to the party's actual selected candidate, which would have been Clinton, if DNC emails. Now, Gator. you asked this question of why, why is this allowed? Just look at the DNC emails. That is corruption. That's party control. And it's out in the open, as the previous person just said. It's not, none of this is a mystery. And this is why I said CR is a guy who seems to be politically naive and angry at the same time. It's like the evidence of how your system, my system works, is published. You just have to want to look at it. And then you learn those game, those rule, those real rules of the game. And then everything that you watch in politics after that will make complete sense. And you won't be angry in life anymore because you will understand what the system is. And then you will know what the return will be. So you can predict the outcome and you can live your life in a system that you better understand and can better predict. My, my, I mean, I'm just wondering what, what they threatened with. What, what could they be threatened with? Like what, they can I, be threatened with, you don't get to come back next time. Yeah. We'll primary you and we will see you not return to this seat. Exactly. Or they can but to, their family members. Their family members can be threatened too. That was another thing that came up with Iona Presley. Excuse what, me? To Gator's point. Yeah, but, yes. Excuse is, me, Savvy. I'm sorry, everybody. Savvy, what did you say? Family members were threatened? I know in the case of, I can't speak on the others, but I do know in the case of Iona Presley, who is local to me, uh, her family members were threatened. With what? I don't know. She didn't go to, into specifics, but like that's actually on video. Wow. So the housing, yeah, the housing activist group that I work with, they actually got that on video. Wow. Yes. Yeah, well, you know, the they, thing they, is. They, they approached her about BDS and she went into, she ended up going to this whole spiel about how her family members are threatened, being threatened. Well, my thing is this. If you are on record as having forced the vote on qualified immunity, Medicare for all, public banks, free community college. I mean, you can go back to your constituents and say these things and, 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 and just use the peop the power of the people to rally behind you. I mean, I'm sure a lot of these, you know, four radicals who are threatened with, you know, maybe no funding for your next election or something like that. Or they were threatened with being primaried, perhaps. But I'm thinking, okay, so go to the people. But go but to the people. Davis. I mean, be like Shama Sawant. You know what I'm saying? If I mean, and that brings me back to the question: Do these people really the, believe what they they say the, or do? Well, I just want to add something. I want to add something really quick, and I also want to make sure I want to bring in Anita and Ashura because they haven't had a chance to speak. But I want to add something really quick. I think Shama Sawant is a great example to point to. But I think we also need to remember that Shama Sawant is on the local level. Shama Sawant is not in Congress in D.C. And on the local level, you have a little bit more leverage. So for her, it's a little bit different. And that's why I asked her if she would primary challenge Pramila Jayapal. And she said it's not her decision. She said it's up to Socialist Alternative. They pick the person that they think will be best fit. And that person runs. She didn't even want to be a politician, she said. So I think 
That is the difference. Like, yes, I would love to have like a Shama Sawant in Congress. And we thought we had that, right? Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I, like I said, Cynthia explained this very well. The moment you get there, they take you in a little room and say, look, this is how it's going to be. We saw what happened when AOC was protesting inside Nancy Pelosi's office. You never saw her fight back against Nancy Pelosi again. She went from that to calling Nancy Pelosi mama bear. That right there let me know she had that talk. I'm dying to know what the talk is. I'm dying. Dying to know because... Davis, yes. just to to add to, to that and also Noel's point about how you could manage Bernie. I mean, imagine in 2016, somebody went to Bernie and said, look, mate, okay... Don't do anything about what, what you now know about Hillary Clinton and the DNC and Wasserman Schultz and uh, Donna Brazil, because what you're going to get now from us, if you play the game and you concede, is you will stay in the political power position you're in until you die if you want to, and you will only sp- spend half the time fundraising because we'll, di- we'll allocate you a disproportionate amount of all of the party's funds to make sure you'll stay, stay in seat and always win, right? So your campaigning time goes down. All you need to do is play this game, right, and do this role for 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 now until the end of you, whenever you want to retire or die. And he would have taken it probably, right, because because it's just a fucking job. And then the other thing is, look at Hillary Clinton. When people went up against Bill Clinton on rape char- and, and get brought tried to bring rape charges, what did what did Hillary do? She weaponized the IRS against every single one of those people bringing cases. So if you're a politician and you're going, oh, shit, they're going to weaponize the IRS against either me or my family or my business history, that's a massive form of leverage that the system has over any player inside the system. So, Gator, I I agree with all you're saying. So, you know, the the question is, what do we do about it? And, you know, to me, the, the best thing I can come up with is that we need a mass movement. We need to figure out how to inspire large numbers of people to form a mass movement. And the best way I can think of is around a, a clear set of demands and take it from there. Go ahead. My, uh, literally t- 30 seconds. My very quickest way of looking at this is that you need the simplest, most common, lowest common denominator unifying manifesto points. Nothing complicated, nothing particularly left or right. It's just find the one or two things that bring together the most number of people at the, at the lowest common denominator. And you crowd, you essentially have to acknowledge that money is king in your system, right? So you need, you need everybody to be willing to submit funding backing for a specific candidate who has originated from the grassroots and and who will always get this money from this system but you have to find an accountability mechanism because you've already said that aoc technically got money for her campaign or bernie did and then look where he left her so you have to come up with something better than that but um but but basically money is number one on my list yeah you can't i mean maybe maybe medicare maybe maybe universal medical care is the thing for, for, to, to, to get to get it, but I, I don't want to take Healthcare for all, but, number two. <laughs> yeah, but you know, um, all I'm saying is that if you want to work inside the existing system, right, you have to find the asymmetric shortcuts that take into account how you get enough money that's not controlled by business people 
So it's people's money. And then you, how you sandbox that people's money to make sure it cannot be stolen by the DNC or the GOP, right? And then that that money is attached directly to a candidate, but you're going to have problems with the candidate being controlled and pressured by the pa party. And I don't know how to get around that. But it could be done, but, but only if you make the thing that, the, that everyone is trying to come together on, the most common unifying thing and incredibly simple, one or two issues, not a whole re-engineering of a third party in a third way and a new way to tear down the system. Because most thicko Joes can't even get through the system as it is, never mind imagine re-engineering it. Um, what about, I was thinking also, we should just start registering new voters as just independent and stay independent. Don't go jumping into a Democrat or Republican primary, so hoping that um, your guy will come out. One thing I noticed that independents do, um, as of right now, independents are mostly moderate, right? Oh, so, Roger. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. What, what? Anita and Ashura have been waiting oh, for a I'm long sorry. time. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let my me bad, just get, okay. Bad. Keep going. Go, go. Back. My bad. Um, Anita, you yeah. just have to unmute. Sorry. It's okay. Just, I hope... Um, she can unmute this time. Anita and Ashura. I think there might be something. Okay, we got Ashura. Okay. What's up, Ashura? Yeah, fell asleep twice, woke twice. So surprising you're still you're still here on Thursday, so I'm a night owl. I'm sorry. I'm working on that. <laughs> well, that's fine. Uh I saw the Anna Kasparian part. And <laughs> while you were streaming, uh, I saw it on RBM, but when you were streaming Brie popped up on my notification that she was going live and she talked about Anna and she said that mm -hmm. Anna can miss her because if she really wants to have a talk, the door is open. But she, she said like, she, she said like that she knows he's full of shit, but she knows she, and, and that she was lying the entire time. Wait, was Brie live on YouTube? Cause I didn't get the notification. Not YouTube. Colin. Oh, oh okay. Okay. I'm going to yeah. have to go back and listen to that episode. <laughs> yeah, because uh, they, 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 a bunch of people came in and said, you know, this is a bunch of bullshit, and I can spend. She, she's lying, and, and the part that was fucking funny is that it's that laugh that she did. She tried to make a joke out of, out of, out of it, but you can tell that she's salty as hell. That Brianna Joy Gray is now running circles around her because they look like a fuck bunch of idiots. Hey, Ashura, I got a question for you. Mm -hmm. Um. So, I mean, and, and this is just, this is for everyone, really, not just you. You just happen to be speaking. How, how do these people know about these things? Like, what, when she said, when Bree says that Anna Kasparian is lying, how, how is that determined? I, I can understand different political, um, dispensations or, you know, even orientations. I mean, I, I, I do, I truly do believe that there's such a thing as a political orientation. I think some people just, would always be right wing under any circumstances and some would be left under, you know, even if you, you change the circumstances, they're just going to end up having left politics. So I do think that politics um, does have to do with, you know, your character and your experiences and all of that. But I'm like, how do these people know, for example, how does Brie know that Anna Kasparian is lying? You know, uh, and, and, because simple. she has because, receipts. I mean, yeah. Anna Kasparian is a low key racist. I mean, if you if you remember when the vote happened, 
Yeah, she's a low-key racist herself. I mean, she 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 was born. She was. She said her dad was like a. She, she her dad owned buildings, and she was a a tenant. Some guy like that. But they, they, mm-hmm. they, that that's how she made her money. Her dad had the money to basically uh, send her to basically school. But for the Brianna part, she went after Brianna specifically on Twitter. And, and, on, you, and on YouTube. Too. Yeah, no, uh, on Twitter. Basically, she went after her on Twitter. And she was, Brianna was being super nice. And there's a point where Brianna said, look, uh, uh, you're lying about this, that the nurses or whatever movement said they, they, we, we attacked them. I got, I got receipts. If you want to see them, I can privately DM you. And she kept going on and on and on. And I'm like, Brianna, stop being nice to these people. I she can't see it because Anna Kasparian blocked me like a year ago. Well, I've never seen you interact with Anna Kasparian or go after them. I've seen other. I mean, I mean, but 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 Anna I mean, Kasparian they, they, mentioned. They probably watched the show. They they probably watched the show. But for the Brianna part, the Brianna part, that's probably to me where it because she basically looks like Brianna. She's a small black woman. She I don't know how tall Anna Kasparian is, but her nose must be bigger than where her, the Brianna's height. So she must feel like, uh, yeah, I can bully her. She's not going to do anything to me. I'm just going to say this for people who are listening. If you really want to know how some of, I guess, people like Anna Kasparian are, you need to go go on YouTube and type in Nico. Go on YouTube and type in type in Nico House and their name after Nico. Because I can tell you this: there's some things I know. I can tell you one thing was that Nico was supposed to debate Anna Kasparian. This was a couple years ago. He flew all the way out to LA, got there, and she disappeared. Wow. For days. Yes. Wow. Disappeared as in she didn't call him? She ghosted him? She ghosted. Okay. But doesn't Nico live in uh, California? No. Nico okay. just moved to Brazil. Wait, what? He's in Brazil. Yeah, he moved to Brazil, but this was a couple years ago, Ashura. Oh, okay. This was a couple years ago, and so there, there's some things I know. Some things I'm not going to say on here, but there's some things I know that has happened that gives off those low key racist vibes. No, it's the. I mean, guess who's another racist on TYT? Jank Uger. I mean, there, there was a guy I saw a clip, a short clip, a black guy. He said he used to work for TYT, and he basically got uh, he he basically got ra- racially uh, racially uh, what's it called? Well, he, he basically got basically targeted because he was a black guy, and they called him the N word at TYT. And he told that to Jank Uger, and Jank Uger told him toughen up. Jank Uger also wore blackface on TYT. He also I don't know if people remember this. Like this is going back. Like he also wore blackface on TYT. I never and saw that one. Thing, like, I, I remember the, the the N-word part over and over where he was making multiple sentences with the word N-word. Yeah, but I mean, like, it. there are some people that think, that will say, if they're reading something and it's there, they don't feel like, they, they don't feel like they're doing something wrong by reading it. There are some people who are like that. That's I think nonsense. Now, I think nowadays most people know better. But that's um, nonsense because um, I remember he read it. He read the quote of what the senator said, and then he started making a bunch of sentences that weren't in even in the story. But 
Well, there's that, but all of them did that back then. Like there's, there's several clips where a lot of them did that back then. Like they said, if they were reading something, they just read it as is. And they didn't see it that way because they were just like, we're reading the text. It's like when I was in, um, when I was in undergrad, um, in one of my, my English classes, it was the Southern literature class. A lot of the books that we read used the N word because it was that it was older literature and it was acceptable to use it back then. Luckily for me though, like I did have a professor that was like, I'm going to skip over that word, but she was one of few. So yeah, that's the uh, thing. Like if people are reading something, but they're saying so-and-so said this, da, 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 that kind of thing, but it's not just the blackface thing. That was one thing that he did, but he also interviewed David Duke. Oh yeah, I saw that. But I'm pretty so sure he like, pushed back though. He did push back a bit on the David Duke thing. He made uh, fun of him. No, but listen, let me show you the hypocrisy. You can't complain that Jimmy Dore interviewed a Boogaloo boy and you interviewed a fucking Klansman, okay? Madeline Albright tongue bath that Anna Kay gave to her. Yep. Yep. Oh, I know. I, I, I was. Uh, how much? Uh, how many squad members did we get in 2020? Because I'm. I, I was trying to compare. I, I'm looking. I'm on a CNN page. I'm trying to compare 2020 and Pushing 2022. You talking about new I, ones? No, and just for 2020. Because I don't ones, remember right? how much the, people people who weren't already there. Yeah. It was just two. It was Jamal Bowman. Wait a minute, Jamal Bowman. Corey Bush no, and Mondaire Mon, Mon Jones. Okay, so Force yeah. of Vote was around 2020. So how much? How many squad members would that be? Like six, eight? N Newman also. Marie Newman. Who? Marie Newman. Oh, shoot. They got rid of her. Right. Damn. So they, they redistricted her out of her thing. She, they, they Dennis Kucinich her. See, you guys, you see what I'm saying? I told you they do this shit. Yeah, so, this is. I mean, this is. At, uh, I'm looking at the 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 old page on what? CNN, and it says that the Democrats won 222 versus Republicans 213. So, regardless of the way the numbers are, even if they lost, like let's say eight out of the squad, the Democrats would still be over. They'd still be over um, the Republicans, but I I, I think. Um, I I think that the squad should have basically leveraged them. Basically, uh, you, you see the Republicans base—they're uh, basically making them look like fools. People are basically making excuses. They're laughing for the squad. Oh my God, look at the chaos, which is which is the new word right now. The new buzzword is chaos, and I've seen that a lot. Even 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 what's his name, uh, Sam Cedars, repeating that. Oh, there's a lot of chaos right now with the Republicans. I'm like the Republicans are basically getting what they the, these Republicans are getting what they want. They they really they want to have concessions, and they, the, the Democrats didn't get shit. The, the squad didn't do anything. So the entire political system is a sham, in in other words. Basically, yes. it's very much controlled by money and power. Like the corporations control the politicians because most of the politicians are corporate. Most of them are. I want to bring in Anita. Anita, you just have to unmute. I just don't want to forget about you because. Hey. Hello. Hi. 
uh, my computer was being wonky, but I finally figured out how to get the unmute going. Um, thank you for doing these really long shows, Abby. It really is amazing and wonderful and like a real gift to all of us. And I just really want to express my appreciation for that. Um, Thanks so much for calling in. How do you feel about all of it? Um, well, I, I would have to agree that um, I, I do believe that it's um, a theater and that's a lot of performance art. Um, there were uh, several things that I kind of wanted to address that sort of back that up or uh, you know, just things I've experienced or seen in my life is like, yeah, I eventually found my way to that realization. It wasn't something that I always saw or believed. Um, I, I was going to say, um, <clears throat> we were talking about Bernie Sanders earlier, that um, in 2015, uh, I was on Facebook. I, I don't really do Facebook anymore, but I had a friend, uh, just an acquaintance through Facebook, who actually posted a message in 2015 where she said that Bernie Sanders was a sheepdog. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> I didn't want to believe her. Um, I was, I was pretty resistant. I was, you know, real supportive and enthusiastic about Bernie in 2015. And it always stuck in my mind that she wrote that. And I was talking about kinda, she, must, she must have listened to Chris Hedges. I guess I don't, I don't, I did not ask her cause I was, you know, kind of like, nah, she, you know, she's just saying stuff, you know? So I didn't really engage on it. And I really wish I would have to say, how did you, how did you know that? What was your experience to, you know, give you that insight? But, you know, she definitely proved to be right. Um, and then. Um, you can engage me I, on it if you want to. I've written it several times. But you knew about it in 2015 then too, huh? <laughs> Hello? figured it out. Um, yeah. You just have to stand back from these um, situations and look at them on their merit. Bernie Sanders comes across as a very nice guy and that's all fine and good, but you have to judge him by the sincerity of his actions. Mm -hmm. And when that situation with Hillary Clinton came up and all of the leaked documents were coming out from WikiLeaks and this and that, I said to myself, there is no way you can continue with this charade to, to support Hillary Clinton when you know that she has been cheating and the Clinton campaign actually had control over the DNC. So there's no way the DNC could be running a fair um, competition within the party, especially with Debbie Wasserman Schultz being the um, head of the DNC at the time, and she was formerly the Clinton lead. So I'm saying any honorable person would have have to go into the DNC and the Democratic Party and say, look, the, the secretary must be disqualified because her hands are clear. I mean, her hands are dirty, but he didn't do any of that. He's saying, oh, she make a fine president and this and that. And then I realized Ber Bernie's power was his ability to speak to the liberal side of the party and sheepdog them into the tent. And that was his sole purpose. Otherwise, when he said the words revolution, he would have stood his ground. But yeah. you don't tuck your tail and then eventually tell everybody, oh, support this woman who we've just found out was cheating. So it's like, OK, you're a nice guy. You speak nice words. You draw big crowds. But I have to judge you by your actions. 
And that's why it was so easy for me. You know what, too? He never called that out. As many times as Bernie Sanders has been on mainstream media, he never Never. called out the fact that Hillary Clinton was cheating. And that was very troublesome to me. But I told you guys, Jesse Ventura said when he came on my show that Bernie Sanders told him when he announced he was running against Hillary that if he lost, he would support Hillary Clinton. And I told Je- I told Jesse, I said, Jesse, I wish I would have known that because I would have never donated money to Bernie Sanders. He had already decided that if he didn't win, he was going to support Hillary Clinton. He was not about trying to start any type of third party movement or any t- other type of movement. So that's very questionable. And I wish, I wonder if more people would have known that how many people would have came out to support Bernie Sanders, because that's one of those things that happened behind the scenes that we did not know about. Now, Jesse Ventura knew that Shama Sawant knew that um, Chris Hedges knew that Chris Hedges spoke about it. But unfortunately, I didn't see that message from Chris Hedges until after Bernie Sanders lost in 2020. And I was well, like, oh, I, I saw God. a clip Chris of him Hedges calling Bernie out. Basically, like Chris Hedges was trying to tell people all along because he said Bernie Sanders missed his moment. He missed his moment when he refused to walk out from the Democratic Party. And he's a registered independent to walk away from the Democratic Party after he lost to Hillary Clinton. They cheated him. Look at what they did to Bernie Sanders. And like he still even after that, he went around the country campaigning for Hillary Clinton. And then for her to go onto the view and smear him and say, well, you know, the Bernie bros didn't come out and support me. Nah, boo, you got the popular vote. What the fuck are you talking about? You won the popular vote and you're going to come back and say, oh, the Bernie bros didn't support me. First of all, some of the Bernie supporters did support Hillary Clinton. There was a lot of people that turned around and supported her. But it's not just him that got cheated. I always get a little bit touchy when everyone says Bernie was cheated, and he was, but it was us that got cheated. <laughs> and, and I think that the focus really needs to be more on his followers were the ones that were cheated. And well, Bernie accepted the cheating because yes, I read yes. articles online that basically Bernie may have gotten a house. I don't know if that's true, but for the concession of voting for Hillary, he probably, they said he bought a third house, but that mm-hmm. turned out to be, he said he bought it himself. But yeah, there were a lot of rumors. Bernie Sanders <laughs> but, uh, yeah. has been in politics for several years. He, the yes. Democratic Party had a no compete clause in Vermont, and they did not run competition against Bernie to secure his loyalty as he caucused through the years with the Democrats. But the reality is, Bernie Sanders knows the politics of that thing inside out. He knows who these people are personally. He has worked with them for years. So for me, it comes down to a matter of character. You cannot endorse someone who has just been found out to be cheating. You cannot do that. And and me think you of an honest or honorable person. And that's when I begin to see you for who your actions say you are not your words but your deeds and you misled all those people getting all those small donations from all those poor and working poor people knowing full well that you were not going to do the right thing he had a quasi obligation to the people from whom he took that money 
to represent their interests with integrity. And he did not do that. And you're a sheepdog because you in the end turned around and, and told everybody to vote for that woman. And the sad thing about it was, if you recall, all of the major polls were showing that in a three-way run, Bernie was beating Hillary and Trump. Yeah. But you, you know, but he, so to me, he was complicit with the Democrats in that whole scheme. And the proof is you come back four years later and run under the same conditions that you ran the first time. And I've then it's, oh, my anything. friend. Yeah, no, no stipulations, no conditions, no saying, uh, I had this past experience and I know what games you guys are capable of. Doesn't mention any of it. Just like acts like that never happened. Let me tell you. And, and then all of his followers are supposed to just go right along with that and go, oh yeah, that, that never happened because the mainstream media denied that it happened. So I guess let it never me, let did. Let me tell you <laughs> another thing too. When we look at, uh, West Virginia, for example, Bernie Sanders won every county in West Virginia. How the mm. hell did the superdelegates give the state to Hillary Clinton? Yeah, because they're superdelegates. <laughs> they're Sabrina. super. <laughs> it's a mess. What's up, Roger? Um, Lucy just DM'd me this. I don't know if I'm late to the to the party or whatever the case is. She just DM'd me this this video that Jamal Bowman took with Barbara um, Maxine Waters. <clears throat> Did you did you see that? They was like chilling together, and he was like, "Oh, I'm chilling with the legend here." And no, I haven't. I haven't been on uh, Twitter since I right right before I went live. I haven't been back on Twitter, but I will say this: Jamal Bowman is a joke. Jamal Bowman all about taking selfies and look who I'm chilling with. Like when he said to Joe Biden after the uh, State of the Union address, "I'm trying to be like you." That right there should have been a revealing moment to people. Jamal Bowman trying to write legislation. Let me tell you about legislation. Jamal Bowman write legislation for a hip hop day. <laughs> yeah, people, right. need, people need Medicare for all. And you focusing on a hip hop day. Look, I love rap music too. But what's more important? I can listen to hip hop anytime. But we got, you know, thousands and thousands of people in this country that don't have health insurance. And he gonna write a legislation for hip hop day, and then here come Hakeem Jeffries with them, like, yeah, that's a good idea. You see how unserious this is? You should see. You should watch your recent uh, RBN video with CJ <laughs> and Nick. They brought this up. They, they said that there's a boy. He goes on. He goes on on the news. He, he he's he's ticking boxes. He's saying all the nice identity politics words, and you're like, you don't you don't really believe that. You're just saying shit because you're 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 a, a one-party man. You don't you don't you don't fight for the people anymore. And he's gaslighting people live by pretending there's chaos in the, in the Republican Party, and we here are the Democrats. We're united against who? The guy that you said that was a cancer on the party, Hakeem Jeffries. You're united over him. Didn't you say this guy was the biggest problem there is after Nancy Pelosi? Well, let me tell you another thing. When we talk about how people vote. If Hakeem Jeffries is voting along with legislation, 94% of the time that his predecessor, Elliot Engel, would have voted, is there really that much of a difference between having him there and Elliot Engel? Nah. I like to call Jamal Bowman Elliot Engel with blackface. 
and, and let me make this point. This framing of what we're witnessing with the Republicans as chaos, quote unquote, is the Democrat trying to frame the narrative and equate force the vote to chaos. Although what we realize is it is effective leveraging but they're framing it as chaos and eating popcorn and laughing because what they're trying to suggest to their base is, oh, this is chaos. And if you ever ask us to force a vote, it is equal to chaos. That's what that framing is about. You guys see, I told you guys that stuff tonight. Like notice how they were all saying the same thing. Chaos, disrupt, like that's how they look at forcing the vote. Um, Norman, you have to unmute and Anthony, I'm just going to invite you to speak, but Norman, you have to unmute. Um, I did want to say that, uh, in terms of the, the force in the vote and series of chaos, I mean, there might not have been a situation like this with a house speaker for a long time, but the whole idea of using political leverage to get what you want is politics 101. And that they've been able to turn it around to make it sound like it's something new that just got started when Jimmy Dore was talking about it or DSA <laughs> was talking about it. I mean, it's like they are such professional gaslighters. I mean, they truly are professional gaslighters. And, and to be able to try to make people think that this is like chaos, it's not chaos. It's called politics. And almost any other country that has a, a system that's even similar to ours is probably going to have very similar methods of political leveraging and that's all they're doing <laughs> and they're making it seem like it's it's some kind of new invention and we should all be shocked and unfortunately it seems like so many americans fall for it it's very sad speaking of jimmy it was funny though because when Aaron, i think it was like maybe two uh, two days ago or a day ago jimmy's on vacation and this thing happens right in his lap where jimmy has to cancel his vacation for a couple of hours to go do a lap on his own show yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> that was crazy. And, and, you, and you, you saw Jimmy in his own show sitting on the other side, but normally he's in that chair with Aaron's there. It's like, people are like, Jimmy on Jimmy? <laughs> he's like, I had to cut my, I had to cut my vacation short because this fell in my lap. I saw that last night and I was like, I said, wait a minute. I thought Jimmy was on vacation. That's why I was so confused. You kidding me? This like, is like vindication. I know Jimmy Amber was a guest on, on his own show. That was kind of funny. But yeah, I was Amber, like, what is happening here? Yeah, Aaron was on the show. And then um, I turned away. I did some things. I came back. And then Aaron turned into Jimmy. <laughs> I just want to make the point real quick that not only is it not chaos, but it's it's a democratic process. It's the most open process because for the first time, instead of doing behind the, the scenes dealings and, and, and making deals behind closed doors, they're coming before the public through the ma the media and they're saying, well, this is what I want. This is what we want. And this is uh, what would happen if, if we get what we want, then we would vote for Kevin McCarthy. So I, I, I would say it's even the opposite of chaos. Hmm. Shout out to Chip Roy. That's I saw good, that video. That's a good point, Case. Uh, Anthony, you have to unmute. Um, there was one thing I wanted to mention before I uh, got lost in it. Um, and I don't know how many people listening here are aware of this. I, 
I get the impression that maybe a lot more people know than I think, but there was this uh, document called the Lewis Powell Memo. Have you heard of that, Sadie? I haven't. What is it? Do tell. Okay. It's written by Lewis Powell, who was a Supreme Court justice. He was nominated by Richard Nixon. And before he got nominated uh, to go to the Supreme Court, he wrote this memo in 1972. And it's basically a blueprint for everything that has happened politically uh, and you know ramifications into society since 1972. It was, uh, Lewis Powell was very frightened by the left movement of the 1960s. And he was a very, you know, capitalist minded conservative. And he came up with a way of how to make sure that the uh, leftists lost their power. And he went through and he basically said, we have to come from the electorate. We have to come from the media. We have to uh, uh, get to academia. And uh, there was a fourth quarter that they went after. Um, anyway, um, you can you can find it, you know, doing a, a, a duck, duck, go search for Lewis Powell memo. And uh, actually, um, Graham Elwood and Lee Camp did a show on it. So you can get kind of a nice little um, synopsis of what it was about and uh, what it did. But uh, if you do any kind of research on it, this is like once I learned about it and I started thinking about it and reading about it and seeing just how much it's like they, they actually lined out what was going to happen to society after 1972. And if you look at the history from 72 on, it, it was just like it was it was already designed and when you think about it being a system of uh this political theater and uh both parties being one party that was basically his idea that the that the conservatives the capitalists were going to take over the democratic party and um you know it, it took him a couple presidencies but definitely by clinton they were able to you know basically get the blue dog democrats in there and shifted it all the way from, you know, the the, the few semi-decent politicians that existed in the 60s and 70s. Uh, it definitely wasn't perfect. I'm not saying it was the, the glory days, but a lot of, of stuff happened in the 60s and 70s legislatively that are basically impossible to, uh, to repeat at this point. The, and the Anita, Anita, if mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken, I think that other plank was the tough on crime narrative because there was definitely something in that memo that had to do with race relations. Okay. I, I remember okay. media, Question. academia, and, uh, and uh, basically taking over the Democratic Party. Infiltrating. Interesting. Uh, Anthony, what's your take on everything? I haven't heard Hello. from you in a while. What's up? <laughs> oh, hey, yeah, sorry. I started uh, working overnights and I'm joining a little late, but it's all good. I'm here and watching everything when I can. But I'm just amazed that the squad is still voting for Jeffries, you know, with no, even though they're in the minority. And I mean, I, maybe they don't think there's anything to gain if they would vote for someone else because it would just make them look bad in their own party and it wouldn't really make much of a difference. But, you know, he's really bad. He's not progressive on anything, right? And yep. uh, we, I, I, I'm in Detroit, so we have the squad member Rashida Tlaib here and I'm, I'm amazed at her. I called her office today. I said, you know, he's really bad on Israel, right? Like in a, in a really big way. 
shouldn't that be important to you? And her office staff was like, oh, yeah, I guess that is important. And they were like, oh, I didn't know he said that about, you know, Israel today, Israel tomorrow, Bullshit. Israel forever. Bullshit. They knew. Let me ask you a question, Anthony. How is it that we know and we don't work there, but they work there and they don't know? Yeah, I don't believe it. I, I think they do know. And that's crazy because I remember, uh, you know, when Katie Halper got fired at the Hill, she said, um, it was because Tlaib said you can't really be progressive except for Palestine anymore. And I'm it's like, okay, well, what about you? You're totally a ba- you're betraying your own beliefs and whatever because, what? yeah, you're just with the party. So that's the angle that I'm pretty amazed at. Listen, I'm going to tell you, keep an eye on Richie Torres. Richie Torres is going to be the next Hakeem Jeffries. I'm calling it right now because – I talked to Glenn about this as well. Richie Torres is aligned with Hakeem Jeffries on a lot of the issues. He's pro-Israel. He's against BDS. And he checks off all the boxes when it comes to identity politics. Richie Torres. He's awful. He's one of those people. He got elected because they were like, oh, he is Afro-Latino. He is LGBTQ. He's from the working class. He's perfect. He checks off all the progressive boxes. That's exactly what that New York Times article said. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, because of his outright support for the state of Israel and against the Palestinian movement, he is going to be the next Hakeem Jeffries if somebody doesn't primary challenge him. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, but Jose... The guy that you've seen do those videos where they approach like AOC and all the other squad members in these town halls and call them out for funding Ukraine and the whole nuclear war issue. Jose is his plan is to primary challenge Richie Torres, and I think he's going to do it as an independent. So if you live in Richie's district, you should vote for Jose. But uh, didn't RBN said they got a little they got absolute certain disagreements with Jose in certain parts. If, if That needs to be fixed, though. Yeah, I got disagreements with Jose, too, but I disagree more with Richie Torres than I do with Jose. Okay. That's, that's the thing. Like, I'm sorry, but do you want someone in who's going to be pro-war or you want someone in who's going to be anti-war? I would want the anti-war person, but I, I just think certain parts of Richie, not Richie, uh, Jose, he needs to basically either learn a little bit more on it. Yeah, I agree with that too. But I think that like he's like I don't know, man. Like well, because, I just yeah, because, because the reason why I say that because they, they could use that as uh, attack ads against him. So he needs to he needs to brush up, make sure it's, he's iron tied. Uh, there's no chinks in the armor. So the beef that a lot of people have against him is like that guy voted for Donald Trump. Okay. Yeah. So did so did so did many Bernie people. There's Trumpers in New York. There's New York representatives that are Trump supporters that have won recently. I'm talking about recently. In fact, Roger, you can chime in here. You probably know some of them. Like that's um, that's the thing people need to understand. Think about this guy, George Santos. Okay, the guy who lied about his whole life and stuff, who said that, like, I'm serious, his whole life, the guy that said he oh, went he? to 
Bard College and he went to NYU and it turns out he didn't go to college or anything at all. The guy who made up his whole life story, that guy, Republican, won in New York City District. Go ahead, Roger. Uh, Here's something uh, funny. When your video went off, uh, Democracy Now! came on and Amy Goodman was speaking and she was talking about George Santos and she was talking about, you know, uh, people can't get sworn in or whatever the case was. And she was saying, George George Santos said that he was sworn in, but then we found out he lied about that too. <laughs> I was laughing my ass off. <laughs> I'm sorry, but really funny. <laughs> oh my God. But what, what I was going to say before is what um, Anita was talking about. He was sworn in ish. Is, uh, yeah, like back in my um, listening to uh, 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 Tom Hartman days, yeah, he used to talk about the power memo like all the time. So I, I know what Anita was, was talking about the power yeah, memo. Yeah, I remember Tom used to talk about that as well. I agree with you, Roger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because he said uh, Nixon was just like, yo, this guy is great. Let's make him a Supreme Court justice. This guy, can we get Milton Friedman in there too? I guess not. Okay, I'll take Powell. But um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. He hit between him and Milton Friedman, you know, back back in the early seventies, and then Nixon exacting, the, you know, putting us on the, on the road toward that is what uh, put us where we're at. But um, oh, I'm still here. Okay, okay, yeah. And um, no, what I was saying before was if if we um. If if all of us, if we just started registering young people as just independent and just say, don't give in, don't go to a, don't, don't jump into a party to vote for a primary, just stay independent. Because the thing is, is that one of the powers that independent has is they pretty much tell these guys, hey, I don't care how you won your primary, you need us to win. You know, and that's why they start tacking to the, that's the reason why the Republican nominee of any race starts tacking to the left and the Democrat nominee starts tacking to the right. So imagine if a whole bunch of of progressives and socialists and Marxists or whatever became independent and we ended up outnumbering the moderates, then we could say, I don't care what moderate crap that you told your uh, uh 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 what do you call it you know your constituent your um primary voters you need us to win so if you want to win and we tell both of these parties that then you're gonna have to do this you see what i'm saying and that's what i was trying to tell someone and you know who was telling me nah man you gotta um unregister independent and register as democrat so you can vote for jamani williams against kathy hokel I'm like, dude, he's not even fighting for himself. I was like, I'm not going to get out of here. So I'm not going to become a Democrat just so I could, you know, get this guy, whatever. And I was telling someone else who was just like, yo, we're going to have a voter registration drive. And I was just like, you don't want me, you don't want me there, bro. Because if you put me part of your voter registration drive, I'm going to get these people to uh, register as independent. Oh, no, you can't do that because then we can't, we're not, we don't have open primaries. We can't, they, they don't want people to vote in the primary. I said, I don't give a damn. Look, we get more people independent 
And then, matter of fact, you just you just have so many independents; they end up getting into the uh, into the border. We don't have a Secretary of State. Well, we do, but it's not. They're not in charge of elections. We have we have in New York State what's called the Board of Elections. So, if we if imagine a whole bunch of independents start getting into the electoral counting, you know, Secretary of State offices. You know, these would be people who don't give a crap about either party. You, you see what I'm saying? And 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 just start, they just start running it. You oh, I want to I mean? say something too. Um, so that's that's similar to what um, that dude's name. Damn it, the hell! That dude's name. Oh, that's similar to what um, shit! I forgot his name. Uh, Joe. Okay, that's similar to what Joe said on uh, New Year's Eve that um, we had that panel about to vote or not to vote. And Joe Fire. Yeah, sorry. Shit. I forgot his name. That's what he was saying. To have all these independents um, to primary challenge them because he was just like, in reference to the climate struggle, we don't have time. Like, we really need to replace, like, all these people and to dump the incumbents and to focus on the corruption, right? And Mm -hmm. I had this conversation with him before. The first time I had this conversation, he wanted to do it through the Democratic Party. And I told him, no, I was Mm -hmm. like that. You can't put them into the Democratic Party. And like, so that interview didn't go well. So this time around when he came back, I thought he was talking about the same thing. And then it wasn't until the end of the freaking panel that he finally verified the like, no, I'm no, I'm not talking about doing the Democratic Party, da, da, da. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Okay. That's a little bit different, but I was a little skeptical because like I said, I had that conversation with him before and he wanted to do it through the democratic party. And I had that conversation with him on, um, KRTD media. Uh And then I was told also, apparently they removed him from KRTD media because of that, because of the situation of him trying to pretend like, I guess he wasn't trying to go through the Democratic Party when he was. Oh. And that was the piece that people, for people who saw that panel, who may be wondering why was Sabby so like he did, because I had already had this discussion with him and he wanted yeah, to go was... through the Democratic Party. Yeah. That, that short-term memory. Imagine if the, uh, so imagine if the independent took over the redistricting commissions. You see what I'm saying? I mean, just run the whole thing. It's like, I don't care which party whatever the case is, and instead of having these parties control control the 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 apparatus, the voting electoral apparatus of, of everything, you know? And well, that's I, what he was saying. He was saying dump all 400 plus Congress. Yeah, but he was saying he doing was, it in two years, though. I know. That's what I was trying to tell him. I said, realistically, that's not going to happen in two years. Oh. And he said, I said, well, how do you beat the money? And he said, electing them and i said but what about the money in the campaigns Mm -hmm. like that's that's the thing like but but i get i get where he was coming from but like i said like he switched Mm -hmm. his narrative um lucy is here lucy what's up you have to unmute by the way Ashura, i saw you said something in the chat that it's 11 rounds now for kevin mccarthy uh uh, yeah when i was uh in your chat yeah i say it was 11 rounds I got that from Dana Fairbanks, but I was hearing it was 11. Listen, Dana is on it, okay? Let me tell you something. If you want to talk about minute-to-minute news, Dana is on it. Yeah, I see her on Twitter. I follow her every now and then. She has multiple tweets coming up. <laughs> What's up, Lucy? 
Um, hi, Savvy. Um, uh, nice, uh, nice to talk to you again, Roger, Ashura, Anita, um, Eric. So, um, I, uh, I, I just wanted to, cause I met Jose and I just wanted to give you guys my perspective. <laughs> um, Uh-oh. I like Jose actually. I think he's a nice guy. He seems like a regular person. Um, uh, this is not an endorsement of LaRouche or anything. I'm just telling you my general impression. <laughs> um, my impression, uh, he's also like pretty young. He's like 24 years old. My impression is really that he's like a supporter of the LaRouche thing, that he got swept up in the anti-war messaging. Um, like, you know, I, I mean, when when I was 24, I was still a Democrat. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't really judge him on that. Um but that's just my view. That that's how I see him, um, and I, I feel like he's really motivated and at an age where he's still inspired by stuff, whereas like, you know, the rest of us are already kind of like cynical and like <laughs> worn down. <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, we'll see. Oh, sorry. Yeah, um, but that's just on that issue. No, go ahead. Uh, I, I I have something else to say, but I, I can wait. <laughs> Lucy and Roger, aren't you guys like near each other? Let me see. Yeah. Two counties, two counties apart. Okay. But I, I was going to say, what did you think of that? Uh, 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 when I sent, sent you the, um, when Larry shot was making fun of Hokel. Oh, that was funny too. And that was really funny. And, you know, like Kathy Hokel, she comes out with all of this, like I'm fighting racism, sexism, and all of the isms. <laughs> and, he just tears her apart, um, which is <laughs> actually like the other thing I wanted to say is that, that, you know, I like the more, the more politics I see the you know, I, I'm not saying other countries are perfect, but the, the identity politics in this country specifically, it's out of control. Like, <laughs> and, and I really like the same way that they presented Richie Torres as some kind of like progressive icon because he's black and gay. I feel like I, I'm going to be honest, like maybe we should just have black gay candidates only run for Congress because like anybody else is not going to, you know, surpass all of these tests. So I, I'm honestly curious, like what is the strategy for dealing with the kind of like extreme identity politics and you know if, if if jose vega for example let's you know imagine that he's perfect in in every regard you know imagine that he's um you know they'd probably you know accuse him of being homophobic because he's straight or something you know what i mean like this is out of control so yeah they also said bernie sanders was racist like all kind of things they'll come up with Listen, I just saw this uh, tweet, Roger, with Jamal Bowman and Maxine Waters. Yeah, Lucy or, or, the... or Louis Figueroa that, sent that to me. Yeah, he said, I'm with the legend. In the comments, someone said her face looks like an old shoe. What did it mean? Someone else said she should be in jail. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh, you know one thing that came out of this um, uh, this Republican uh, uh, backlash. Uh, Ryan Grimm has apparently unblocked Jimmy Dore, and they went back at it. <laughs> the Twitter. I saw. 
I saw. <laughs> and and Grim is getting bodied with every response. He, Jimmy is just destroying him. Jordan Sheridan also got destroyed. He's claiming that uh, he was for forced to vote, but people basically saw that Jordan Sheridan, just like the rest of them, abandoned forced to vote the moment it got smeared. And he kept repeating the same thing, but people were like, bro, we saw, we see you. We know you were, you were for it, but you abandoned it and you trashed it. Every time Jordan Sheraton uh, tweets, he hurts his channel more and more. Every time. So yeah. when someone is about to explode, you step back. <laughs> well, that's it. But you just step back. And then and just let that just ride out. I I also wanted like I wanted to talk about something else very briefly. Um uh like I don't know if you guys remember when Bernie Sanders was like raising money on Facebook. I'm sure you do. Um uh and at the same time, like, I don't know if you guys realize, like, how much, I mean, it was already a thing before crowdfunding, but I feel like the whole Bernie Sanders thing was just kind of bringing, you know, fundraising into the era of tech startups. You know don't what I mean? So like, right now. so, like, the first round that you raise is off of people you know, like, if you're starting a startup. And then the second round is from venture capital. And that's exactly what the progressive did. did. That is their strategy. Like the whole tech startup kind of, you know, um, thing. And like, I feel like we haven't (laughs) totally come come to terms with that. Like this is a business strategy. It's, it's like what this guy said that um, he was talking about how this is just a business strategy and I feel like if we come to terms with that, then, you know, maybe we could have some kind of, like, third-party coalition or something where we will, you know, people can can be like, look, I don't agree too much with this conservative person, but at least they're not um, a venture-backed candidate. Or, you know what I mean? Like, and I don't think we have to put more money into it at this point. I feel like, you know it's kind of pointless after a certain point to throw more money into it or to like feel like the solution is money because the money is just, is just going to be the first round. Like these people move on and then they raise more money from other sources. This is just like the public round is just the first round. So I, I like, I don't like the idea of donating money anymore. Yeah. It's become poison though. A lot of the, a lot of Democrats will claim that they are progressive. They'll they'll look at uh what the other progressives have talked about. They'll adopt they'll quote adopt their their platform and basically just take your money. Yeah, so they'll, they'll take your money. They'll, they'll take your money on top of basically taking money by the by by the elites. That's what Jimmy Brown did. And like, if you're gonna put money into it, I feel like any money should go into the people that are trying to get something done like like for example like if we were to register people as independents like i remember um during the whole bernie campaign that some people would approach the bernie campaign and they would ask for jobs you know people that needed the money (laughs) um but the whole 
thing behind the campaign. It was like, you have to volunteer, but Bernie gets his money. At the end of the day, he got his money, but everybody else had to volunteer. And I feel like it would be a much better use of money, even if it's five bucks, you know, to pay the people that are volunteering. Because at the end of the day, like when you have activism that's just led by people that volunteer, you end up including only the people that can volunteer. And I'm pretty sure they did that in 2020. He started paying his his people, but yeah, but it was people like you know the people that were on staff. It's you know especially at the national level, it's people like Brianna Joy Gray. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong. Not the with staff. I'm talking Brianna... about the people who were like they were going out and knocking on doors. I think I mean, once okay. the campaign got going and they got so many small small. Small yeah, because I remember he was he was he was having a huge amount of money, like thirty million, thirty million, yeah. forty million every now and then, and he was saying he was using that money to pay people. And it really kind of showed you that that there is a real potential out there for for the small dollar donations. I mean, you got you got in mm-hmm. some big bucks. But the funny part about that is that if you lose or you don't fight back, why don't you? I don't know. Send the money back <laughs> to the people who donated. Or oh, the consultants get that money, man. Jeff Weaver, consultants—they make bank. I hate that uh, guy. Can I, I say something? Can I say something about Jeff Weaver really quick? Since his name was brought up, <laughs> Jeff Weaver. For those who are not familiar, he was a part of the Bernie campaign, right? Our revolution came out of the Bernie Sanders campaign. It was created by Jeff Weaver. So just keep that in mind when you see these messages now that our revolution is pragmatic progressives or whatever. That came from the Bernie movement, and it was created by Jeff Weaver. Wasn't Jeff Weaver Jeff, Bernie Sanders' uh, chauffeur? Chauffeur? Yeah. Bernie had a chauffeur? Yeah, I thought that was him. No, Jeff Weaver was a big, oh. big high-level advisor. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't he own comic book stores or something? I don't know. He's a Vermont guy. He became part of the Bernie, uh, the Bernie campaign. I don't know, but Ashura demoted Jeffrey Weaver from advisor to chauffeur. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's what I heard he was. That's what he was in the beginning. That's, maybe... maybe Ashura, maybe you're confusing that with Bernie Carrick, who was... Giuliani's chauffeur until he made him, I think, like chief of police okay. or something. Okay, because I, I, I thought I, was, I thought that was like Bernie, uh, Bernie Weaver was just be like his chauffeur for years, and basically now he rose up to the being campaign manager or something. Oh. Like or maybe oh, by, I don't by know, the way, but um, maybe it was Jeff metaphorical, Weaver. and he was the driver. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. Sure, he was the. He was a campaign manager for the 2016 campaign mm-hmm. and advisor for the 2020 campaign, according to the Wikipedias. Yeah, Ashura knocked him down from advisor <laughs> to driver. <laughs> I'm sorry, Ashura. I'm just picking. But anyway, I'm um, fine. I'm just looking up if he was the driver anyways. <laughs> Nothing about a driver. Crazy, what's crazy is that um, Jeff Weaver apparently was also a part of Nina Turner's campaign, at least the first yep. go-round, right? And so yep, some people kind of felt simple. like, why why pick him? Because and Bakari Sellers. he didn't help Bernie, you know? 
Yeah, and Bakari Sellers also. That whack ass mofo. I'm sorry. Oh, by the by the way, um, so uh Lucy, so uh Larry is going to be doing another takedown of her on her state of the state uh Tuesday. Just just to let you know. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah, so Kathy Hochul actually I saw her in person during that Joe Biden event. All of those Democrats were there. It was crazy. There was yeah, Kathy Hochul was there. Um, Jamal Bowman was there. Jamal Bowman is even cheesier in person than <laughs> than you think. He was. It was crazy. He was like running up. Like everybody else does the speech for Democrats because they have to because that's their job, right? To fall in line. But Jamal Bowman was running up and down the stage, you know, being like, "Let's go, Democrats! Let's go!" <laughs> he was running. He was running. That, that up sounds and like the, the Golden stage. Globes when you see when you see it like that. It, I, I, I couldn't believe it. I really you couldn't know, believe it. it he, the, he was the cheesiest one of all. Kathy Holchel looks like the spawn of the devil. She just kind of like stands there frigidly, <laughs> like you know, like zooming her lasers around the crowd. And I can see that. Probably out of all of them, maybe Kirsten Gillibrand or you know one of those. Like maybe she was like the the one that seemed most normal. But um, the, they they really hammered in like the way the Democrats won and yeah it, like especially during that speech and all of their speeches were basically about scaring the shit out of all of the younger voters that, you know, the right to abortion would be canceled if the Republicans won. That, oh. that, that was like the whole thing. <laughs> oh, oh, hold on. Um, you just reminded me. Larry Sharp said, you believe this woman's talking about abortion in New York state? Hey, a show of hands. Does anybody actually really believe that abortion is in trouble in New York? I mean, really, because, I mean, she we did that already. She's talking about stuff we already done. And then he'd say, she'd be like, well, you know, we're we're in trouble. You were governor. Or you were, or you were lieutenant governor. What do you mean? Well, every, say, every single speech was about abortion. Every single one. Chuck Schumer, Kirsten Gillibrand, Kathy Hochul, Folk, Jamal Bowman. Everything was about abortion. And they even talked about how if you don't vote Democrat, we're going to be living in like the hands made tale or the 13th century or whatever. That was every single thing. You know? yeah, he, <laughs> and, and the kids he, were scared shitless. So that's exactly what happened. So like, I, you know, like the Democrats, they have, they are totally shameless about using that as identity politics. And, you know, if you have, obviously if it, they're going to like wield every kind of identity thing, against any kind of progressive candidate to the point where I'm starting to think like, you know, don't even run progressive, run independent or even conservative, like not Republican, but you know how there's like a conservative mm -hmm. um, party. I don't well, know anything don't about know. the conservative well, party, honestly, but I, I know that there was a conservative candidate in my district um, mm -hmm. and they are also technically a third party. I don't know how independent they are, but yeah we had um so I, I don't know if you saw my when i dm'd you through that group dm sharp is actually in your congressional district because he was saying that aoc is his is his representative as well um so he was like yeah i'm, I'm over here in queens and he was he it, and he what did he say he said something about um oh Oh, I forgot. But yeah, it was. Yeah, you definitely got to watch the thing, and I and I can't wait till he see till he talks about. Oh, oh, now I remember what I was gonna say. 
So, okay, Sabrina, so something that she just said, all of these people, all of these Democrat big shots, it came to Brooklyn, okay, when Hoku was running. That's how, in a, because they were that scared that Lee Zeldin was going to win because he came close. That's how terrible she is that she had to have all of these big shots. Because I think Biden came also. I think it was like, I think the only person that might not have been there was Obama. But I understand, well, the Clintons are in New York already. But um, I mean, I wasn't physically there. Lucy was physically there. I was just like kind of watching on like the phone or whatever the case is. And she went all the way to Brooklyn. I was like, this woman, the governor never shows up in Brooklyn. (laughs) You know what I mean? And she was... I was like, man, this woman is running scared. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, so, I mean, it, it, it was just, it was kind of like just a, a, a sight to see. So that's why they were throwing all the fear out. Yeah, when I saw her what on the Breakfast Club, I was like, wow, okay. She was, hold on, what? On the Breakfast what? Club. <laughs> what? what? The governor, yeah. <laughs> she was, on, she interviewed on the the Breakfast Club with Charlemagne the God and DJ Envy before the election. Like, just what? because... But that was because the Republican went on there first, so she she had to follow, of course. And that's how we put pressure on these politicians, you know? We got to let them know that, hey, if you don't go, okay, somebody else is going to go in your place, you know? She was scared. Yeah, she was... She she Because she, she thought that she had it. I mean, well, she did have it, but she thought that, you know, like, she didn't have to... She didn't show up for a debate for, like, a primary or something like that, and <laughs> she, she, I'm hearing. We, I'm learning a lot about uh, Governor Holchel. <laughs> we had to, um, you know, there was this thing like the 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 NIPAN, the New York Progressive Action Network, that they had invited me on, and like we were interviewing um, the candidates. It, it was a primary, whatever, and uh, Hochul didn't take any questions. She was just like, and and some of these some of these people like they're older, so. I was just like, I was saying to, to the same guy, I was just like, uh, Steve, she didn't say that she was for the New York Health Act. Oh, but she didn't say that she wasn't for it either. So I was like, bro, I am not going to get out of registered independent to vote Jamani Williams. The, the guy's not even fighting for his seat. He's just like there. He's just telling you like, I mean, you know, it, it, it just like sucks. They, they're not, you know, they, you know, it's just like, I just said we need to be a ballot initiative state. <laughs> I hope Larry runs again. Or so- you know, like somebody. Um, I I wish I I remembered his name. Somebody else that was on Colin. He was saying that maybe it would be better to just like instead of focusing on getting new politicians in, to just bribe the existing ones. And mm-hmm. you know, I think there's something well, to that. Like I I, I still don't no, feel comfortable no. giving people money, but. Um, no, no, I, I don't know. It might have been me who might have said that with worker co-ops or something. When I, when I was saying um, we need to uh, chart a pathway in New York to to start, build, proliferate cooperatives um, and, and partner with other types of cooperatives, build separate supply, supply chains, multiple su- worker cooperative supply chains, independent of corporate, then box out corporations. And, you know, box out and replace corporations. And then the co-ops become the big money in Albany. 
Yeah. Um, I know that's a long. I no, I agree with you, time. but I also feel like literally something as um, simple as like the the force the vote thing too. Um, I mean, doesn't it take like one person or something in the Senate to bring that to the floor? And I like I know when I've seen. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen those uh, like reports that the Democrats put out about how much the NRA pays each person yeah. in the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. And what I was surprised at when I saw those reports is that they buy some of them off really cheap. Like one guy got $2,000 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the cheap you know, ones. No, just sorry. Yeah, like the cheap ones. Like, maybe mm-hmm. we could figure out who the cheap ones are, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, is it that? Che- so then again, there's oh. the risk that you'll pay your you'll bribe something and then they won't do anything. But or maybe you can hold the bribe. I don't know. Um, but since we live in a bribery system anyway, I feel like it's unrealistic Let to it... expect things to work without bribes. You know, I, I don't know. Let it be lost on no one that. In a matter of four years, everybody, New York state lawmakers, even the ones calling themselves socialists, Marxists, talking about Senator Salazar, talking about Senator Ramos, okay? In a matter of four years, they gave themselves a pay raise of $62,000, which is an increase in pay of 78%. And and, and then Hochul brags about the minimum wage just went up to fourteen sixty. <laughs> yeah, their minimum wage. <laughs> and 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 um and we are still for I don't know the tenth year in a row, number one in income inequality. Yeah, I was thinking about this. I was like, what if all the benefits that a congressperson gets at the assembly level and at the federal level you give that automatically to all the citizens. So, like, even if you have to push them back to get minimum wage, like, okay, guys, all Congress members get $15 an hour minimum wage, and then every time you guys increase your own pay, then you're automatically increasing it for the whole country. You know, I, was I was thinking, thinking about something. That. You know, I was thinking of something similar. Like, if we were a ballot initiative yeah. state, I would say an amendment of a government jobs guarantee where the starting wage matches what the state legislature gets. Yeah. Yeah. Because the people, you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, independent media not doing, uh, you know, a lot of the activism and not being on the same page with us. And something that you guys brought up is I think the closer you are to the pain, the more you're going to be mm-hmm. able to relate and, and have the urgency to pass good policy and to be for a force to vote and for to be for Medicare for all, the closer you are to the pain. So it's the, the, you know, when Sabi gets 2 billion, um, not 2 billion, 2 million subscribers and she's making a million dollars a year, it's going to be like, Oh man, she's going to come right. That's going to take years, maybe 50. No, I'm just kidding with you, Sabi. But, um, you know, even the, as soon as you become a, a congressperson, boom, you're instantly away from the pain. Look at Cori Bush. She used to be right in the streets, homeless, and boom, as soon as she gets elected, now you're getting, what is it, $3,000 a week or whatever? So, so it's just, it's just absolutely. Hey, hey uh, Case, can I ask you something? Sure, buddy. Sure. Um, isn't AOC making money off the side? 
on top of your salary. Probably from people saying that speeches, probably from. No, I'm talking friends. about like her. I, I think she has like uh, brands like apparels. Oh, I don't know. I don't, apparels. I don't know. Yeah, like shoes, t-shirts. Merch, you mean? Yeah. I know merch from her website. She probably goes to her campaign because she was selling. They were making fun of her on Fox News that she was selling um like a forty dollar hoodie or something, and she. She's like, oh, they're like, oh, look at this socialist selling like this uh, sweater for this amount of money. But I think that goes to her campaign. Okay, because I thought that go- that went to her. So I know I was like, similar, you're probably pretty rich outside. Yeah, similar to like when Bernie was running and he used to sell apparel. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I want to go ahead and bring in um, Brent, and then I'm gonna head out because it's getting pretty late. But what's up, Brent? Getting. Okay. okay, so uh, Roger talked, he constantly talks about ballot initiatives. I don't know if he was on here on Tuesday. I think he left early. Um, but it seems like he feels like when a state becomes a ballot initiative state, it's um, all of a sudden there's going to be progress towards uh, setting an example for the national stage. And um, on Tuesday, I the link for an ad for uh, Prop 29 in California, which basically um, is regarding kidney dialysis and um, requiring a, a medical professional to be on site, and, and it requires kidney dialysis companies to um, report their profits and who owns what. And that proposition was shut down I don't know what the percentage was, but it was shut down. And then uh, four years prior, there was another proposition. I believe it was Prop 8. Um, it required uh, the kidney dialysis companies to refund the patient after 150 115% of each treatment cost. Anything above that, the money had to go back to the patient. That was rejected. Two years later, uh, Proposition, I believe, 23, uh, discussed about, um, I forgot what it was, similar to Prop 29, basically, uh, that requires a medical professional to be on site, and you can't discriminate uh, against the patient based on um, how they pay. That was also rejected. So, in four years... I'm sorry, Brent, uh, one second. You said this last time when you were on on Tuesday... Right, right, right. Um, because I don't know if Roger was on here. I think he was gone. Well, he Roger, said he was gone. But Roger already knows this because he does the ballot initiative summaries that I present on my show. Oh, he. Oh, he. He already knows this. Okay, I. I apologize. He. Then what I'm saying is just basically repeating what he already knows. So I just wanted to hear his opinion then, um, as to how California could be an example for. Um, Healthcare initiatives on, at the national level, if okay, it can't even accomplish at the local level. Nbcuni.com. I don't think Roger said that. Yeah, I never said that. If anything, Passport, I, if anything, there is no state right now that is past single payer yet. So there is, so there is no example of. Yeah, I know. I'll mute him. I'll mute him. You know passwords. Just giving out passwords. So no, no, Brent. So yeah, yeah. If anything, if any, if I said anything, it was California, Colorado, um, Arkansas, 
Arizona, um, going off the top of my head, the Dakotas, Montana, Missouri, Oregon, and Oklahoma, I said are the best type of ballot initiative states because they, when after a successful petition drive, you guys get to place your um, your initiatives directly on the ballot without having to make a stop at your state legislature first to give them a chance to adopt it or reject it, where then it would go on the ballot after that. And also you guys have the ability to pass laws, ratify your own amendments, and do a veto referendum. Um, but at the same time, I never said that we're going to win all the time. Oh, no, no. I, but, I, that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying like it's sort of an example as a, as a potential stepping to the national level. I didn't say you were going to you're going to win every time. No, no, no. That's not what I meant. I'm, what I was talking about mm-hmm. was like California is seen as an example for other states to show them uh, an example. How it's for... done? I, hear Wait, you. I mean, I, I would say any any of those states, any of those particular ballot initiative states would, would be um, examples. Because if anything, I know... It usually things usually start in the states before it makes it to the federal. And out of all the states, it usually starts in the ballot initiative states first, because at least you have a say. As hard as it is in California, because because the big money, I guarantee you, it's not as hard as New York, where we don't even have that option, and we have to completely de- depend on these on these fools. You know what I mean? Who do things like give themselves raises? you know, by 78%. And, and meanwhile, we're still number one in income inequality. You see what I'm saying? So at least there is a, a hope or a chance that you, I mean, matter of fact, um, from, from so the public banking uh, law that you guys passed, I believe in 2020, um, a, from, from, from what the public banking community was telling me, you guys hit me, um, did did a uh, did a was doing a ballot initiative for for uh, public banking, and when they saw that it was coming down the pike, they wanted to jump ahead of it. So then all of a sudden, they they gave you guys the ability to municipalities a permission slip to start your own public banks locally. So now you got Public Bank LA and um, some other little startup public banks in your, in your uh, municipalities, but it's also a way to use it as leverage. You know, I was just on um, Arizona for Medicare for All Coalition earlier, and someone from California was saying, um, yeah, you could either use a ballot initiative, you could either be serious with wanting to pass it, or you could use it as leverage. And to me, I was like, it doesn't have to be either or, it could be an and, you know, just, you know, if they get to it before you do, then, you know, that's great. You know, but but my whole point is, whatever tools that you've got in your toolkit, use it, because you got something that I don't got, that Case don't got, that Lucy don't got, that Sabrina barely got. You know what I'm saying? So, you know. So now right, here's right, the right, thing: but it's um, we, in California, we we are trying to pass certain things, and it's just. I misinterpreted your comment as to saying like as the solution to get these things passed at the national level. I just feel that we need to focus more on the media, how uh, 
people are being manipulated by the media, like to vote against mm-hmm. their interests. I feel like that should be the primary focus in addition to the propositions or the ballot initiatives. You That's can do that. probably where our disagreement lies, but I, I have no problem oh, I with said you shouldn't do the media. If you want, if you, if you feel that if you, you, you know, cause you got to get people to vote for the initiative. Right. So you got to do right. some type of advertisement to say, Hey, vote for this ballot initiative or vote for that against that ballot initiative. So yeah, there's definitely Roger, did you see that ad for uh, Proposition 29? I don't, I don't know if you saw that ad. A vote no for Proposition 29 in California. It was running everywhere. And That's it the, was so did you see yeah, did you that watch was, that ad or No, no, that was the that was the um the 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 ride-hailing thing, right? The uh the the um the in, the independent contracting because the law the, the lawmakers passed um a law where that would um, kind of like regulate the ride hailing industry, and then no, 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 no. This is kidding dialysis. So basically, they oh, were okay, having right. people saying vote no for uh, Proposition Twenty Nine because um, they had patient kidney dialysis patients saying if oh, you yeah, vote yeah, for yeah, Proposition yeah. Twenty Nine, then uh, kidney dialysis centers will shut down and I will die. Yeah, and and, and it was like it I sounded said, very convincing. It, it, look, it's 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 hardball. What what can I say? You know what I'm saying? These guys feel they they money is it is it threat, so they're gonna pull out the guns. They're gonna pop the trunk, and you know yeah. we okay. we gotta fight too. It is it is past Sabby's bedtime. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> sorry, guys. All right, good night. All right, guys, thanks so much for hanging out with me tonight. Um, again, I'll be on Jimmy Dore show tomorrow at six p.m. Eastern time. Um, I think